This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, To another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and I said that slowly because we had some feedback on Twitter saying I talk too fast. And with me, as per usual, is my great co-host, the fantasy hockey robot, the IPP MVP, your friend and mine, the great Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. So happy to be here with another huge, like we're finally at the part of the season. There's injuries, there's outjuries, there's snoozer alerts. We've got a lot to, to break down here, and hopefully you've gotten a head start on that already, thanks to a little episode of the stream scheme that we dropped in your feeds. We hope you enjoyed that or, or will enjoy it shortly after listening to this show. And a little teaser. For anybody who loves extra episodes in the Keeping Carlson feed, uh, there might be uh, some more of those in the near future. So uh, keep your ears peeled. Yes, exactly. Stay subscribed to all the cool... We've got some stuff brewing over at KKHQ, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, Brian and I aren't going to stop dropping these big mega Sunday episodes on you every single week. And this one is going to be pretty wild. It's one of those episodes where we prep it, you know, Sunday morning or Saturday night. And there's like a ton of games today. So a lot of the stuff that I plan to bring up might be a little out of date. So I'll make sure to check the games as we're going on. But yeah, a lot of the line combinations I noticed like this afternoon after I I was like, you know, I put a bow on it. Perfect show, ready to go. Then all of a sudden, oh, San Jose has changed their line combos. St. Louis has changed their line combos. Oh, Jesper Fast is healthy scratch. Anyway, okay, so we'll get to all of this. It's going to be a really fun show. Of course, before we get started, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the top fantasy hockey website out there. I'm using their tools all the time over on Frozen Tools. So you got your starting goalies, your line combinations, including in-game. Like I'll be referencing in-game line combinations as we record the show. Also, a ton of articles that are really useful. Your daily ramblings every single day, super useful to make sure you're up to speed on what's going on. You've got a 21 fantasy hockey rambles right now, like a weekly amalgamation of all the best rambles. It's another Geek of the Week written by one of our friends, Ben Burnett from Average Time on Ice. So yeah, DauberHockey.com. Um, you could you could spend days there. It's like Reddit. It's better than Reddit because it's about fantasy hockey. Though there is a fantasy hockey subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash fantasy hockey, which is 
like Reddit and like fantasy hockey. So what am I talking about? I don't know, Brian. Let's get started. Like you said, unfortunately, you say it's like a good thing. Like finally we could get into some of the meat of the season, but it's also kind of a sad thing because people are having to deal with these really frustrating situations when a star player of yours gets injured and we have to start in Colorado where Miko Rantanen is week to week with a lower body injury. Oh no, he was hurt on Monday night against St. Louis. Really tough break. He, he might be gone for a little while. He's been off to such a great start, 12 points in nine games. Anyone who drafted him was probably feeling like, yeah, last year wasn't a fluke. He's going to keep it up. Hey, looks like he will, but he's going to have to take a little break first. After that game, the Avs didn't play until Friday, so there was lots of time for us all to speculate and wonder about who's going to take his spot on the top line and top power play. We were retweeting lines at game day lines, and at first we were seeing that Eunice Donskoy would be the one skating on line one with Landeskog and McKinnon. A lot of people were rushing to grab Donskoy, but then by the time the Friday game came, it uh, t- turned out that Eunice Donskoy wasn't on the top line. It was JT Comfer who took Rantanen's spot both at even strength and on the power play. He had one assist versus Vegas in the 6-1 win. Then he had a power play assist yesterday versus Anaheim. So anyone who jumped on like Burakovsky or Donskoy for the weekend, hey, they still got a Burakovsky power play goal assisted by Donskoy, so not the worst thing. But yeah, now it kind of looks like JT Comfer is the one you want to have, though, to make things even more complicated. I saw a tweet from Ryan S. Clark saying that actually mid-game last game, the lines got shaken up a little bit. Uh, at one point, uh, so Bednar has broken up the first line for this period. McKinnon is with Donskoy and Burakovsky. Landeskog partnered with Kadri and Wilson. Confer on the third line with Jost and Nishushkin. So I kind of almost feel like, who knows? I almost kind of want to say, just forget about Colorado because it's too risky. Or at least if you grab Burakovsky or Donskoy, they're at least going to be in the top six. So that's going to help you a little bit. Colorado plays Wednesday, Friday, Saturday next week. So maybe the main lesson is don't grab anyone now, but maybe wait for some line combinations that come out on like Tuesday or Wednesday, because I really feel like it could be anybody. But at the same time, JT Comfer, if he sticks on top line, top power play, obviously could be a really good ad. Yeah, you definitely want to at least consider JT Comfer. Mind you, we've seen him in this role in the past and Alex Kerfoot too, for what it's worth. And they've both been up on this top liner, playing with at least one of these three guys, uh, McKinnon, Landeskog, and the injured Rantanen, without really producing results. Like So I don't think JT Comfort is a must-add. I still may even be more interested in anyone from that second line, uh, or at least formerly second line of Kadri, Burkowski, and Donskoy, uh, the group that's been working well enough together that, at least in Rantanen's first game out, the Avs didn't want to break up that line because they'd been working so well. And of course, Nazem Kadri is already on the top power play. So if you're in a league and Kadri is a free agent and you're running for Donskoy or Comfort, don't. Just take Nazem Kadri, especially since now uh, he's got Landeskog by his side. Of course, uh, Wilson is the other guy who's not not, not terribly exciting as a third piece there. Um, but JT Comfort at best is going to be, you know, top line, fifth wheel on the top power play. I, I don't really think you need to invest a whole lot in him. He makes a decent streamer if he does end up being the third piece of the top line, but he could easily be left out of the mix on any goal the Avs score. You're basically wanting him to be in the right place at the right time with whatever new deployment he might get, and uh, no guarantee he will be. We're going to talk about a few guys throughout the course of this episode who I think are better bets to stream through the week. 
Yeah, I guess that's a lesson I'm starting to learn. A lot of this line combination stuff, it's important, obviously, like where a player is playing is going to make a big difference on whether they could produce or not. But it seems to like change so often. So I almost feel like when a new line combination comes out, you almost want to give it like two, three games before you could actually rely on it. So I'm going to try to take that lesson to heart as we go through some of these lines. Alex is actually pointing out here in the chat that Kamenev was playing on the top line in practice today. But I believe JT Comfer was missing in practice. I think he had like a maintenance day or whatever. So I wouldn't even trust that. They don't play again until Wednesday. So we'll see a more updated line combination. Obviously, if you're in a weekly league and you have to add someone tomorrow and then get locked in, good luck. I don't know. I'd probably take like Burakovsky or Donskoy. It would be my pick over... Uh, who are we even talking about? JT Comfer. JT Comfer or Jost or Nichushkin or Kamenev or well, Wilson. No. Yeah. Yeah. What? None of those guys. Well, I mean, I would never recommend taking Jost or Nichushkin. Yeah. But okay. maybe Comfer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It will be cold comfort if uh, you pick him up and he does nothing. <laughs> there you go. Sorry. Uh, the, 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 the fact that I forgot Comfort's name was, was an example of what's going to happen in two weeks when we all even forget that this ever happened, that Comfort was on the top line. Uh, since we're on Colorado, this D situation, still pretty interesting. Last week, we talked about how Girard got on the top power play for a bit, but then we heard that maybe it was just because, uh, you know, Makar was injured for a second, you know, just like resting on the bench. But no, it actually has happened some more that Sam Girard has taken some turns on the top power play on Colorado. Hasn't bothered Makar in the, le- in the least. Like he's First of all, he assisted on a McKinnon power play goal yesterday, even though he didn't get the most power play time. And Makar has points in four straight games. He's up to 10 points in 11 games to start the season. So Kale Makar just going crazy. Sure, Girard has had a decent run. He actually has three points in four games, but still like, a tough hold with like low shots. And I feel like it's pretty obvious Makar is likely to take over the top power play job full-time any game now. Brian, what's your take on the situation at this point? Is it worth holding Girard or now that Colorado doesn't play till Wednesday? Like, just let him go. It's Makar. Like, clearly it's Makar's job and Gerard takes a shot there, and I don't even know if I love him so much even when he is there. I agree. Gerard makes a good, like, fourth or fifth defenseman and has upside because of the points that he can score, both at even strength and if he does keep getting occasional turns on the power play. But it does seem like Makar's spot. And that means with Gerard, you're looking at his value as having a real low floor because he contributes really very little anywhere else on the score sheet. Like, I'm not married to Sam Girard if he's on my roster. Like, think of someone like Johnny Boychuk as an alternative to Girard. If your league rewards hits and blocks, if you're in a points-focused format, Girard is probably worth holding for as long as he's getting turns on the top power play. And keep in mind that, yeah, he is the defenseman who spends the most time on the ice with McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen at 5-on-5, which is worth a reasonable amount of offense in and of itself. But no better than a 40-ish, maybe 45-point pace, again, with low peripherals. Um, if So if you are in a peripherals league, I am definitely looking to see if there are other guys who are going to make more consistent contributions across other categories to give them a good enough floor value to consider as a replacement for Gerard and his single category support. Yeah, and, and that single category support isn't even that crazy, right? Like, he didn't even break 40 points last season. I'd be kind of surprised if he could do it this year. Maybe he'll be close. I don't know. He's almost like a poor man's Charlie McAvoy. Oh, yeah, and we'll get to him soon. He's slumping big time this year. I, at this point, you want Gerard over McAvoy. But okay, let's go stick up with injuries. Vladimir Tarasenko is currently hurting for the Blues. He left Thursday's game versus LA with an upper body injury. He's missed both weekend games, including today's game versus Detroit. Uh, Tarasenko will be reevaluated next week. We don't really have a sense right now of how long he's going to be out. Maybe he'll even be back next week. I hope so. I have him on a couple of my teams, and it really hurt to have him go out. He's having a great start to the year, just like Rantanen. 10 points in 10 games. Maybe this was finally going to be the 
year that Tarasenko is going to break 80 points. It's going to be a lot harder for him now, depending you laugh at me. I don't know. So far, it was looking good. Uh, so we'll see. At least maybe he could pace for over 80 points. It doesn't, the injury doesn't hurt that chance. Uh, everything else I'm going to say right now looks like it's out of date. <laughs> so I was pointing out that in practice lines, uh, Oscar Sunkvist was playing a Tarasenko spot with Shannon Schwartz, or at least that's what the line was in yesterday's 3-0 loss to Boston. But today, it was different. It was actually Robert Thomas on the top line playing with Schwartz and Shen. And I could take a quick look. So St. Louis won their game today, 5-4 versus the Red Wings. And Robert Thomas, no points. So who knows? Maybe that'll switch again. Though the Blues did win. So sometimes I feel like when a team wins, it's more likely that that those lines will stick. Uh, Then... Uh, another big change in St. Louis is the second line. Like we had Sammy Blay on the second line for most of the season playing with Perron and O'Reilly. Uh, he had been demoted for Alex Steen earlier in the week. So Brian, like before we get, Alex Steen is now injured. So we'll look into who's there now, but it's not Sammy Blay. So, and I want to get you talking here. Uh, Sammy Blay, he had a hot start, total snoozer now, right? Like no one should be holding him. Like I know he's great because of his hits, but if he's not getting you points, if he's in the bottom six, probably you could find a better option in free agency. You can definitely find a better option in free agency. Don't forget, uh, you might get a few hits per game still, and he doesn't have insurmountable challenges to get back into the top six. Like, Blaze could definitely, you know, unseat Zach Sanford on the top line for the time being, or Robert Thomas. Or maybe that one would be a, a little bit harder for him to do, but. Uh, if he gets into the top six, he has some scoring acumen. He's shown scoring chops in the AHL, as we mentioned on the show a few weeks ago. And I think Blaze can be relevant so long as he's got deployment, but no deployment right now. He's back where he was for most of last season when Blaze had four points in 32 games while playing very limited minutes in the bottom six, which means you can lose him. Don't hold on waiting unless you're in the deepest of leagues and you need those like super speculative ads or his hits alone are just going to give you value while you wait for him to, to maybe get another opportunity in the top six. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to happen, I guess. And actually, it's looking like he didn't even play today. He might still be suffering from this thumb injury. So he might get an IR designation, and then you'll be able to stash him in your IR+. plus. So if that happens, then sure, you could stash him. But I don't have much interest there. So let's see now. Who was taking the place with O'Reilly and David Perron? It was... What a, what a big build-up here. Zach Sanford. So, okay, I don't know. So these St. Louis lines, I expect it's going to change. I'm not going to ask you about Zach Sanford. The thing I was going to ask you about is what the heck is going on with Ryan O'Reilly because he started the season with three assists in his first two games, but then and then he had a big, like, one-goal, three-assist game versus the Sens on October 10th. Since then, only one assist in his last seven games. Totally cold going into today... But then today, he like blew it wide open, basically got all those points back that we wanted from him with a big two goal and two assist games. And no one is thinking of Ryan O'Reilly as someone on a cold streak at this point, though it still was surprising to me that he went cold for seven games like that. Was that something that was worrying you going into today? Like this guy broke out with 77 points last year, his first season with the Blues. He followed it up with that amazing playoff run. So I was starting to wonder like what's going on. Seems like at any game now, he could break out just like this. I love Ryan O'Reilly. I was ready to argue with you if you were going to say that you were concerned. I okay well <laughs> I I wish that we were recording this before he had this little breakout or you're saying you wish we were because you were gonna say you're not worried no I well so I have reason to be worried but I'm not putting a whole lot of stock into it so let me 
outline the case here to be worried about Ryan O'Reilly and what you might not love when you look at his numbers so far this year. Last season, O'Reilly's success came in large part because of career-high shot rates and totals, which helped him to a career-high 28 goals this year, though, uh, Riley's shot date, shot rates are down 50%. His shot attempt rates are down 65%. You put that in real numbers, okay? Last season, O'Reilly played 82 games and had one or fewer shots in a game 26 times. This season, O'Reilly is on track to accomplish that same sad milestone by the halfway point of the year. And then on top of that, you pile on the following. Uh, he's lost 60 seconds of ice at five on five on average per game. He's lost a 10% share of his power play time. He had no goals on 15 shots on goal in all situations. His only goal going into tonight's action was an empty netter against Ottawa and his on ice shot attempts were way, way down. Also, Ryan O'Reilly has had sad line mates like David Perron. Fine. You know, that's okay. Uh, O'Reilly played most of last year with him, but he also played most of last year with Tarasenko, with whom he's barely seen more than a handful of shifts with at five on five all year. Instead, it's been Sammy Blaze and Alex Steen as a third piece, which really doesn't seem to have been working all that well. And so you wonder, or at least you wondered... I'm still wondering, to be honest, if O'Reilly finds himself on a bit of an island in St. Louis with Shen, Schwartz, and Tarasenko all together on their own line, leaving him with Perron, which, like, again, is okay, and some other guy, in this case, it's Zach Sanford, and that could be a real big culprit in how O'Reilly's season plays out. So it's been a sad start, which makes him still a decent by-low candidate, though, because I still think uh, he's a quality player. He's someone I'm not running out to make offers for, but then we look at today's game, all that's happened since I did this research and prep, and I talked about his minutes. He's at 23 minutes tonight, a, a season high. I talked about his low power play share. Uh, I saw 75% of the Blues power play time, again, a season high. And guess how many shots he took, Elon? Six shots on goal, also a season high, and he scored uh, two power play points too. So basically, he did all the things tonight in one fell swoop that I was sort of signaling to be worried about. It doesn't mean it's over. I'm still kind of worried about the line situation, especially if he doesn't get terrorist. Like if he's playing with Perron and some rando all year long, it's going to be challenging for him to get all the way back up to the uh, like almost 80 point pace he had last season. But I still think he's a guy, even uh, with second line deployment with Perron and whoever else, you can still count on him for 70. So don't go too low on Ryan O'Reilly after today. No one's going low though. Four points. Wow. Yeah, I guess though you do say something interesting here in that he wasn't getting as much power play time. Maybe his ice time was down. Obviously, that changed today and this weekend because Tarasenko's injured. This is what we started this whole thing with. So maybe once Tarasenko is back, everything kind of goes back to normal. Maybe now is a time to try to sell if you're saying that there are reasons to be worried. But it's probably still just too early in the season to read too much into like ice time and, and shots on goal. I'm trying to do my best, Ryan, to not overreact to things. And I just, I loved Ryan O'Reilly last year. And obviously a big game today. Let's see what happens moving forward. Uh, hopefully Tarasenko's back soon. Maybe that's not good for Ryan O'Reilly if they're not playing together and also not on the power play together, but it definitely is good for the Blues and good for my fantasy teams. Uh, on the Blues, by the way, uh, Colton Pareko, four assists in his last four games going into today, including two on the power play after he started the season, not getting any power play time at all for the most part. Remember, we were all worried because since Justin Falk came, it was like Pareko was going to totally get bumped. Now Pareko's up to six assists in 11 games, I guess now in 12 games. He didn't get a point today. Uh, I dropped him. I drafted him and I dropped him because I was worried in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. Which couple drops should I be regretting? 
regretting more right now, Pareko or Paul Stasny? I'm, I'm kind of really sad about these offhand decisions I made early on in the year. Those were big mistakes. In your tier, in tier one Sweden, these are the sorts of guys that you need to try to move on quickly from because you can't afford a few games of like no production. But I can see why you're definitely regretting. I dropped Paul Stasny in a couple leagues. I was able to get him back in one of them. I lost him in the other. It's sad. Colton Pareko I never had. I don't know, Elon, if you're really going to regret dropping him as much as you feel right now. Uh, his production has been good. I'm not sure what you were expecting when you dropped him. Like, I still think he could be a 40, 45-point guy. He's playing 23 minutes a night this year. That's a career high, but not by a whole lot. Still seeing a limited power play role, decent peripherals. He's a, Pareko's a really handy guy to have on your team and to have had on your team these last couple weeks. But uh, exactly what he's doing, uh, like, what's his pace right now, Elon? Like, half point per game, like over 40 points. Last year, yeah. he was like a 30-point guy. Yeah. So I think he probably, I think he messed up. Okay, thank you. Well, I assumed if last year he got around 30 points and he was seeing second power play time, and then this year he was going to be totally bumped, now you're talking about him like a 40, 45 point guy. Where did that come from? He hasn't done that in a couple of years now. Last year was the weird year. I, like, I think that was the exception. In the years before, he was a 35 point player, um, yeah. not like seeing a little more power play time, but similar minutes. I don't know. I, I think he's been sort of hampered by these low five on five shooting percentages the last couple of years, which he still has this year. Uh, like, I, I can't totally explain where these points are coming from. He already has two from the second power play unit, which I think is helping pad these totals and making you regret. But if you're okay with losing a 40 point defenseman, I don't think you're going to feel so badly about not. dropping him. I was sad about, I was sad, I was, I thought he was, I was losing a 30 point defenseman. I'm very sad about losing a 40 point defenseman. (laughs) Don't you see? (laughs) I thought he was a 30 point defenseman. You blew it. 35, 40 point guy. Okay. 45 points is a ceiling. I want to make you feel better, but I also want to rub it in. As you can hear, as I, as I zip back and forth between saying, ah, you won't regret it and you will regret it. Well, since you're being weird, I feel like I might have asked you for this advice, and you definitely weren't saying the word 40 to 45-point defenseman a couple games into the season. This is brand new for me, Brian, but okay, we got to move on. 45 is the ceiling, right? According to who? You've never said that before. 45 is like a really valuable fantasy defenseman, and he he was a 30-point guy last year. I don't know how you get all the way up to 45 now. but I I feel like we've we've talked about him as a 45-point defenseman. Maybe. So people go out and grab uh, Colton Pareko, according to Brian, because he has huge <laughs> he's not. He's not going to be. That's his upside. His chances of reaching it are slim. 40 uh, okay. points, good shots, good hits. He's good. Go get him. I blew it. Some blocks. Uh, more injuries. So Vincent Trocek has missed the last couple Panthers games with a lower body injury. Could be back next week. So uh, this might not be worth digging into too much. By the way, Trocek, another guy having a nice season so far. Like a nice bounce back season for him, actually. Six points in eight games. Uh, lots of shots as per usual. Hopefully he'll come back soon and keep that up. We all know last year he was doing really well at the start, got injured, and definitely was not able to bounce back. In Trocek's absence, recently signed Brian Boyle has been centering Mike Hoffman and Brett Connolly for the second line. Uh, No points in two games for Boyle going into today, but I'm seeing that actually Boyle had a goal and an assist today from that line. So maybe there is something here, Brian, though with Trocek due back soon, probably not worth uh, investing in Brian Boyle. No way he sticks in the top six, right? No, no, I wouldn't want to invest anything except Boyle has made this habit in the second half of his career of going on these weird scoring runs and has a couple great scores for line mates right now. So, uh, you know, like in a really deep stream, you can put it as like your ninth backup bid, but you can pretty much ignore him in all other cases. 
Yeah, there's a lot of guys on Florida. We'll get to it in a second. Actually, though, first I want to talk about one of these Boyle line mates, Mike Hoffman, who just had a pointless game today, even though his center had a goal and an assist. Uh, Like, what's going on with Mike Hoffman? Like, just like Ryan O'Reilly, he had a hot start, but now has only one assist in his last six games. Make that seven games now. Only taken seven shots in those last six games. Let's see what he did today. Uh, four shots. Okay, so at least he got some shots today. But yeah, uh, what would you uh, do if you had Mike Hoffman right now? Is there any explanation as to where his shots had gone? Would you be worried if you were a Hoffman owner like Ryan O'Reilly? I've got to ask, is he like a buy low? Or is he someone that you think is going to be like maybe not as good as he was last year? I want to repeat something that you said just to really emphasize about Mike Hoffman. Just seven shots in his last six games That really stinks, especially because seven games ago, Hoffman put up nine shots in a single night against Buffalo. And of course, that night it helped. And the ones before it, it helped that Hoffman had played more than 20 minutes a game on occasion. And it certainly doesn't help Hoffman now that his time on ice has been in the 15 to 17 minute range ever since then, which falls one to three minutes below the ice time Hoffman saw last season. But I'm not seeing a sea change in any of his rate stat. So I'm not getting terribly uh, down about it. And for those, like my first explanation was going to be, well, Elon, remember when Trocek got injured last year and Hoffman played with Barkov? That's what helped. But uh, Hoffman's on ice numbers were actually about as good or better with Vincent than they were with Alex. So that leads me to feel like what I'm seeing in Hoffman is a sign of some adjustments happening under a new coach. Like those 20 plus minute games, those weren't normal for Hoffman, just like these 15 minute games aren't normal for Hoffman. But I guess this is Joel Quenville figuring out exactly how and where he likes to use Mike Hoffman. It's weird because I think we're the only ones talking about what's going on with Mike Hoffman. We actually had a tweet come in right before the episode started But he was so strong early on that he still has eight points in 10 games, leads his team in goal scoring. So no one else is really cluing in yet. And I don't think they need to. I don't think Hoffman owners need to be concerned. There's plenty of space for Hoffman to rebound. And I think he will. Uh, Getting one shot per game out of Hoffman is not the optimal way to use him as a skater. And I'm sure his coaching staff knows that and that that will be corrected before long. I feel more confident in his bounce back to last year's numbers than Ryan O'Reilly getting all the way back up to his numbers last year, just because Hoffman's deployment situation remains unchanged. I think it's just going to be a matter of time for him to get going again. And of course, we sort of need to put a pause on it until Trocek gets back into the lineup. But once Trocek is back, I expect Hoffman to get back up to full speed too. Hmm, okay, yeah, I definitely have heard some people being a little bit concerned about Hoffman over these past couple of weeks, but Brian is saying, hold on, everything's going to be fine. I hope you're right. Hey, it worked out for Ryan O'Reilly today, not so much for Hoffman. Uh, but there are a couple other Panthers players. This is a very interesting team, because we've been talking about uh, Brett Connolly playing on the second line with Hoffman and Trocek, and he had been doing really, really well. Brian, uh, but we ended up not recommending adding him, right? You said that it wasn't going to keep up? Well, that's not exactly what we said, Elon. We said that Connolly isn't going to get you a lot of shots, but he is this high percentage converter who, you know, even with a shot or two a game might pick up, you know, a goal or two for you along the way, like each week. So uh, he's not someone to jump on, but he's also not someone to avoid if you are desperately seeking a goal. 
Yeah, so it's tricky at this point because Connolly, you know, he went pointless in his last two games, but he actually had two assists today, so he kind of keeps his hot run going. Then you've got Dennis Malgin, five points in his last five games going into today. Uh, Vetrano, four points in his last five games. These are guys on the third line on Florida. So there's a lot of players that are putting up production on this team. It almost seems like you want to have anyone in the top nine at this point, at least for a streamer right now. Like, here, I'm just looking. Malgin, another assist today. Vetrano with a goal. If I were to bet... I would bet you that Vetrano scored a goal assisted by Malgan. I'm right. Okay, there you go. So that line is doing pretty well. By the way, Frank Vetrano was someone we were really into last year. He got on the second line. He was putting up a ton of shots after he came over from Boston. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, Let's do a ranking right now of these Florida free agents that you might be able to grab for next week if you want. Like Vetrano, Malgan, Brett Connolly. I guess Brian Boyle is in the list. Like, Do you like any of these guys as people that are worth adding? for You know, like, first of all, just for like a single game, just try to get a point and also like any of them interesting you more like long term i liked frank vitano's seven shot game a few games ago that was great and i like that he has that potential to explode in shots on goal uh, any given night i think if i was ranking these guys i'd probably go Connolly first because he's the most likely to score a goal and then i'll go vitrano because he's the most likely to help you with shots and then i'll go malgan and then i'll go Boyle. i think malgan and vitrano are both riding mostly on sustainable shooting percentages though and on like and on ice shooting percentages and ipps like nothing really looks sustainable from their recent production but you can go ahead and ride it with them and see how far they take you but my prediction would be not very far yeah, I'm always, you know, Brian, a sucker for shots on goal, especially like in our cupful, Kevin Carlson, Ultra Patron Fantasy League, shots on goal are worth 0.5 with a goal being worth 4.5. So it's not negligible. Vetrano, another like four shots today. Brett Connolly with no shots. So even though Connolly had a couple of assists, I probably would like agree with your ranking, except I would swap. I'd put Vetrano first, even though he's on the third line and Connolly's on the second line. But yeah, some intriguing guys over in Florida. Actually, let's take a look at their schedule for next week. I want to see sometimes, you know, when you have a player like this, I want to know if it's even worth recommending them. Florida plays Monday. Wednesday, Saturday. So you might want to listen to this, grab one of these guys, get two games from them, then you could drop them after Wednesday. So there you go. That might be a nice early week stream for you. Uh, other streams you've probably already heard about on the stream scheme where Dave told you some players that you can add on the other show we dropped in our feed earlier today. Uh, okay, another injury uh, in Ottawa. Colin White and Artem Anisimov are both going to be out for a while for the Sens. And I'm sure you're thinking, this isn't big news. Like, these guys weren't on anyone's teams. But, you know, Colin White was they on the on top They were on your line. team. <laughs> No, that, well, yeah, Colin White was on my team for one game to start the season, and he scored a goal, and you'll be proud of me, Brian. I dropped him right after, even though he had scored a goal. So wow. l- look at me, right? Uh, but yeah, he wasn't doing anything all year, even though he was getting that top deployment with our friend Brady Kachuk. Jeji uh, Pajot got that spot with Kachuk on line one for a game or two. Lately, though, it's been the recently called up 21-year-old Logan Brown, who's been centering Brady Kachuk, and recently, Anthony Duclair. And in fact, Brown picked up a power play assist on a Tyler Ennis power play goal from the second power play on Friday uh, in his first game. Also, Anthony Duclair, one of Dave Benton's recommended streamers last week. He's had a pretty good week. Two goals and one assist in his last two games going into today with 11 shots on goal. The Sens are playing today. That's the thing with this episode. Like, every single player is already playing today. But yeah, the Sens are playing the Sharks. It's currently, wow, Brian, the Sens are beating the Sharks 3-2. to two. I don't know if this is saying something good about Ottawa or something bad about San Jose. But Brady Kachuk has an assist. We're seeing Logan Brown with nothing. And how about Duclair here, the stream of the week? No, no points for him. So anyway, 
Any thoughts on any of these Sens? I'm assuming that with next week, the Sens only play Saturday. It's a terrible schedule. I'm going to assume you're going to say to drop all the Sens except for Shabbat and Brady Kachuk. And actually, even Brady Kachuk might have a question mark, right? Like, do we need to consider letting people in some leagues with Ottawa having this terrible schedule next week? Like, should we recommend that they need to consider dropping Brady Kachuk? He only has two goals and one assist on the season going into today. So now make that two goals and two assists. 38 shots on goal going into today. Really good. Clearly not enough to even get him up to half point per game. I'm just curious, like, what are you expecting from Brady Kachuk moving forward? Like, is he another guy we're going to say could be a buy low, slow start, but we expect him to be fine? Or is he someone to be concerned about on this Sens team where it seems like he doesn't really have anyone to work with that we can rely on? Before we talk about Kachuk, Elon, not so fast about dropping every single Ottawa Senator not named Kachuk or Shabbat. You might still drop all of them, but at least please keep Logan Brown and Anthony Duclair on your watch list. Duclair, especially in leagues where his shots are valued, 11 shots on goal over his last two games coming into tonight, seeing more time on ice than ever in his career. Going to Ottawa was the best thing to happen to him, I think, because they're a team with no choice but to offer Duclair big minutes, and he's fun and talented enough to not squander them completely, especially when expectations are low as they are. Remember when he was in New York and then Columbus and Arizona? That's the wrong order. But there were big expectations from him in all those places, and there was a lot of competition for his spot on the depth chart in Ottawa. None of that exists, and I think it's probably working in his favor. Like, this stay in Ottawa might have extended Anthony Duclair's pro career, so good for him. He's taking advantage of it, and that's why he should be on your watch list. And then Logan Brown. Let's keep an eye on him, because he's been a surprise miss from the Sens roster in each of the last two seasons, but he started the season playing inspired in AHL Belleville, He had seven points in five games before his call-up, three goals, four assists. And last season in the AHL, Brown had 42 points in 56 games. Uh, The 11th overall pick from 2016 is in a position to prove that he should stick now. So let's see if Logan Brown takes advantage of this opportunity to stick on the big roster with about as good deployment as you can get in Ottawa. Okay, makes sense, yeah. Drop him, because you're probably not going to play him this week, but sure, put him on your watch list to consider adding later on. Brian, before you get to Brady Kachuk, I should point out he just scored a goal, so maybe this is like a Ryan O'Reilly situation where we were going to go into the episode talk about how he's slumping, but now he's having a big game, and now probably no one's worried about him anymore. Okay, there you go. So uh, if you were worried about Brady Kachuk... I would have told you not to worry, even without that goal being scored. Uh, You know, individually, Kachuk looks better than he ever has before. More shots, better rates, higher threat, so on and so on. But on the other hand, uh, Kachuk plays for Ottawa, and he's going to have to do more than ever just to be able to create some points for himself. He'd been seeing going into tonight just a four and a half percent on ice shooting percentage at five on five, and it was as bad on the power play. Only New Jersey shooting worse on the power play than Ottawa. The Sens are just two for 33 on the power play this season. They may not deserve a whole lot better than that. Um, So those team shooting percentage numbers are probably too low to stay quite as low, but we can't count on a bounce back to the normal eight or 9% range because Ottawa. So which is why Kachuk is exciting because he has upped his game. Unfortunately, all the other players are gone. So you have to be wary 
of just how existent Kachuk's ceiling is. Not because of who he is, but because of who he plays for. Um, I still think he presents a good buy low, especially in bangers leagues. And you can probably read more about that in uh, the Dauber Hockey Geek of the Week article written by Average Time on Ice's Ben Burnett. Uh, He detailed some of Kachuk's really, really impressive shots and hits paces and compared him to a player who we all drool over for his shots and hits and production. Sort of reminds me of a Brendan Gallagher type you know, who can really fill and win you some other categories, even if his scoring isn't going to be quite off the charts. Yeah, and there is still the upside. Maybe not this year. One day, Brady Kachuk hopefully will be given the opportunity to also have big point totals. Might not be this year, but also definitely not someone to drop. He's already showing us today that he can still have great games. Brian, it's not too hard to go see a Sens game from what I've heard, right? Over in Ottawa, wasn't there a game recently where they didn't even sell 10,000 tickets? Like most of the stadium was empty. I think that's most of the games. Yeah, so it's a shame. So this ad is not for Sens fans, but for anyone else that wants to go to a hockey game and finds it challenging to get tickets to these games, why not try using our sponsor for this week's episode for our friends over at SeatGeek? Because you guys know what it's like. You want to get tickets to a sporting event or a concert, and it's like these other ticketing websites, they're making it hard on purpose, it almost seems like. Like, you can't ever find the tickets you want. There's hidden fees being thrown at you from all over the place. And customer service? Please! Do they even know what that means? Okay, now I'm getting a little bit too crazy. But SeatGeek is definitely a better way. They've got millions of live event tickets, a price match guarantee. They prove that they care about their customers, and they make it a really fun experience to get tickets. I love opening the SeatGeek app. I go to the city I want to look at, and you've got a bunch of events that you can look at, and you see what's going on. And then you click into a specific event, and you can see all the tickets that they have available sorted by value, or you could sort by price. You know, lots of different options there to find the ticket that you want for the price that you're willing to pay. Uh, Brian, since I don't want to ask you about going to see Brady Kachuk in Ottawa, that's like too easy of a ticket. That's probably like $5. I wouldn't even take a look. But how about his brother, Matthew Kachuk, over in Calgary? Apparently the Saddle Dome is going to be gone soon. You're running out of time to go see Matthew Kachuk in the Saddle Dome. And I just learned a new feature on SeatGeek. It looks like if you go to SeatGeek.com slash NHL dash tickets, you just get a list of every single NHL team. And I just realized you can just go and find tickets that way to go specifically to NHL games. So I clicked on Calgary here. Brian, let's play a game. I'm going to tell you three different home Calgary games coming up and you tell me which one you think is going to be the most expensive to get tickets for on SeatGeek. So you could see Calgary. Oh no, this is not, not necessarily home games. Calgary at Carolina Hurricanes. Calgary at Nashville Predators. Oh, these are all away games. Or Calgary at Columbus Blue Jackets. Which one do you think is the most expensive ticket on SeatGeek? Carolina, Nashville, Columbus. It's not going to be Columbus. It's going to be Carolina or Nashville. Nashville's been like good for a while and it feels like they might be in that sort of like attendance lull where the expectation is just that they're fine for the regular season and maybe if they get to the second round their fans will buy tickets so i'm going to go carolina so you're basically saying columbus last then nashville then carolina right you're preparing to tell me i got it in exactly the opposite order aren't you yeah yeah okay it's columbus (laughs) you could get 25 dollars to see flames at the blue jackets then we're talking uh, at nashville for 19 dollars. then at carolina for only 12 bucks so i guess i guess it also the day of the week should come into effect the columbus games a saturday the other two are weekdays so maybe i should have given you that information but still how about these numbers so if you're in any of these cities or you can see the coyotes at calgary on the fifth 15 dollars. oh my god the seventh new jersey at calgary for five dollars right now on SeatGeek. Unbelievable. Okay, so if you live in any of these places, you're obviously going to get a ticket. Go to the Saddle Dome, go to Bridgestone Arena or Nationwide Arena and get those tickets on SeatGeek. And if you even think $5 is too much, 
How about negative five dollars? I don't even know if they will do that, but tell our listeners how they can get ten dollars off. Yeah, you can get ten dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase if you use our promo code, which is Keeping. So just download the SeatGeek app, try it today, use the promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first purchase. That's promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first purchase, which will be, like, could be amazing tickets to a Carolina Hurricanes. Like, you're seeing a Stanley Cup contender for 5 to $10. Carolina, I gave you credit, Maybe I guess more than I should have, for, <laughs> like, coming out now that your team is, is rocking and rolling. I mean, the stadium seems full, so why aren't the tickets so cheap? I don't know. Well, I guess that's someone... just SeatGeek. SeatGeek is so good at providing quality and valuable tickets. There you go. So, Brian, uh, the mood was down with injuries. Let's bring it up for outries, but I'm actually going to bring it right back down because I want to talk about Nico Heashier, who did return to the Devils for the 5-3 loss to Arizona on Friday after missing a couple of games. But unfortunately for him, he was not given his top line and top power play deployment back. Jack Hughes was allowed to hold that spot, leaving Heashier to center a line with Zaka and Gusev, as well as to play on the second power play with Gusev, Zaka, Subban, and either like Severson or Miles would you know jack hughes is playing with palmary and taylor hall all these great players he's sure kind of getting the dregs and he sure has only two assists in seven games now and may have lost his spot with taylor hall like maybe forever like maybe this is the last time that he sure will ever play with taylor hall unless jack hughes is injured uh so i don't know not looking good for he sure in one year leagues or in keeper leagues i thought that he was going to play with hall at least this season I know it has only been like one game, so maybe that'll change. And New Jersey did loss. Like I said, what are you doing if you're a Heischer owner right now? Are you panicking or are you going to give him more time? Nico Heischer getting a taste of what life has been like for his draftmate, Nolan Patrick. What a sad turn of events for these top two picks from the draft just a few years ago. And by the way, New Jersey has a pretty garbage schedule coming up. So keep that in mind if you are thinking about adding Heischer. Elon, maybe you can give the exact details. Uh, but I'm still kind of into his year amongst all of this like poor deployment business. I do wonder about his health though. He played only 13 minutes in his first game back against Arizona and seemed to miss a couple shifts after taking a hard hit. So like, did he come back at a hundred percent? Did he not? Are, are they easing him in? I, I'm not sure. We're going to need to see a couple more games. It's going to take like another week for us to see a couple more games. Uh, in the meantime, for his year, it sucks to be on the outside looking in, especially when Gusev hasn't delivered, which means that New Jersey doesn't have the depth we thought they'd have to let us not worry about where his year and where Hughes ended up respectively. Remember our line coming into the season was that this team is deep enough to have Hall and Palmieri and Gusev distributed through the top two lines. So it doesn't matter which one you play up with. You're going to have someone really talented there. Unfortunately, his year is stuck with the one guy who isn't producing there, which is Gusev. And it's kind of a really lonely in New Jersey producing outside of Hughes, Hall and Palmieri. But his year's upside still remains. So long as he's healthy enough to deliver, he's still a really talented player who can probably carry his own line so long as his wingers are half decent uh, between Zaka and Gusev. I'm not sure that is quite the case at this point, which does make his year a fringe own. If I already owned him, though, I'd probably hold and see how he's doing once he's playing 17, 18 minutes a night again. And he is actually available in my cupful division. So depending on how my team does this week, I may, uh, I guess I'm 
blowing up my spot a little bit, but I may consider making a speculative ad on Nico Hish here, someone who I'm willing to hold for a week or two just because the upside is there. Because guys of his caliber don't show up in free agency too often. Uh, at the same time, I don't blame his owner for dropping him. And Elon, I, I think I saw a bit of an eye roll there. You wouldn't add Nico Hish here now, would you? No. No, that definitely wasn't an eye roll. I feel like this is a lot like when I dropped Paul Stasny early on. Like, he's a good player. If he's on a good line, I expect him to do well, but it doesn't seem like Hishir's on a good line right now. That could obviously change like it did for Paul Stasny getting back up to play with Mark Stone. Uh, the thing I was rolling my eye at is I think you had, uh, you were living in the past a little bit by saying New Jersey has a bad schedule next week. They had a bad schedule this week. They only played on Friday. Next week, they go uh, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So you'll get three games. At least two of them are uh, off of the Saturday game, so nothing wrong with the schedule. I guess, Brian, you can wait until Wednesday morning if you want before grabbing his year, but I feel like you might get some competition, but yeah, I would be worried about him not on the top line. If you're adding him, I, unless it's a deep league, obviously, I think you're doing that hoping he gets back with Taylor Hall soon, or like you say, like maybe Gusev wakes up, figures out how to play defensively so he could get more than nine minutes a game, and, and you want to have his line mate, because still, like, the guy led the KHL in scoring last year, doing nothing. Uh, okay, since we're on New Jersey, another player, Brian, that uh, I'm really curious to get your take on because you're a huge fan of P.K. Subban, but he did have, only have that one game this past week, but it was another game of him playing on the second power play on Friday. He did pick up an assist in that game at even strength, so he's not doing nothing for you, so that's good. So uh, Subban owners don't have to freak out too much. For people who like don't even follow the line combinations closely, they may not he- have even realized that Subban has been demoted, but for people who are paying attention, they're kind of freaking out because he was supposed to be a locked-in top power play quarterback. It's been Sammy Vatnin for the last couple of games games. He had a goal and a power play assist versus the Coyotes. Vatnin's up to four points in his last four games. So, uh, Brian, what, what is your take right now, like, one more game after last week? I feel like people should probably be adding Sami Vatnin if they still can, right? Like, or are you thinking Subban's going to get that spot back, like, pretty soon, so it's not even worth it? No, you've got to add Sami Vatnin while he's on the top power play, and while that top power play is producing. As for P.K. Subban and what he's going to do, well, I just acquired him in a trade. I traded Martin Jones for him, and I'm not more concerned about P.K. Subban than I am about Martin Jones. Anytime I do have him starting a game for me, uh, I'm happy to not be living that Martin Jones life anymore. Uh, although part of my concern was that Aaron Dell, you know, we talked about on the show a week or two ago how Aaron Dell stayed in San Jose for the summer to practice practice with the coaching staff, and uh, he is blowing it against Ottawa tonight. So I guess that means Jones has got a longer leash to to play with now anyway. Uh, But enough about Martin Jones. We're talking about P.K. Subban, who played more than 25 minutes in two of his last three games, which is nice to know. He's still got coach's confidence, right? I still think he lands on the top power play. It's not like he's in the doghouse or anything, but I don't know that he's going to land on that top power play so long as that unit is clicking without Subban. They have a power play goal in each of their last three games, and after the awful start to the year that the power play unit had, I'm guessing New Jersey is not in a rush to tinker with it now that it appears on track with Vatnin at the helm, but there will be another cold spell at some point. It might only be two or three games, but during that time is when P.K. Subban's going to get back on that unit and he's going to stay there okay that brian making the bold call hey you know what even if he doesn't doesn't have to be the end of the world you know, dougie hamilton last year was pretty valuable at the end he wasn't on the top power play it has happened in the past that a non-top ppd man has been good 
But uh, you think that Subban's going to get back there, just be good at even strength and on the power play. We'll have to wait and see. For now, check out if Sammy Vatnin's in free agency. You could also maybe wait till Wednesday to add him, since New Jersey doesn't play until then. But I would probably want to have him on my roster if I could for uh, those games this week. Uh, okay, uh, more outcheries. Nick Bjugstad and Brian Rust both returned to the Penguins for their 3 nothing win over Dallas yesterday. Uh, they both played on the second line with Patrick Hornfist together, and the line got a goal. Rust scored, assisted by Hornfist and a defenseman named John Marino. So, I don't know. Maybe you're looking at someone like Rust in a deeper league. I wouldn't have much interest in Nick Bjugstad. Uh, really, the most interesting thing in Pittsburgh to me right now is that Dominic Simone has actually stuck on the top line with Crosby and Gensel for a little while now, maybe like a couple of weeks. Normally, this is a huge carousel changing all of the time, but Dominic Simone has been there, and he's doing pretty well. He's five points in his last seven games. Of course, there's going to be another shakeup soon. Alex Kalchenyuk will be coming back. Uh, Malkin should hopefully be coming back as well. Do you think that someone like Dominic Simone can hold on to that spot. Maybe we get a second line of Malkin, Rust, Galchenyuk. Hornquist goes to the third line, and then Simone could stay with Crosby and Gensel. I think that's the best case scenario for Dominic Simone, and I think it's somewhat realistic, especially if he's doing well. So, if you, so do you think that's a possibility that he could stick there? And if yes, should people go and grab him? Like Pittsburgh only plays Tuesday, Saturday next week, so he'd be a tough add or hold, but definitely good upside if you're playing with these two star players. I really want Dominic Simone to hold on to this top line spot. He was the guy I've been stumping for, right? To to be the one to finally end the revolving door of wingers on Crosby's line. And Simone is putting up numbers while he's there. So why not let him stay? Five points in seven games. And he's now taking his own shots too. He had lots of ones and zeros in the shots column leading up to him putting up eight shots in his last two games, 19 minutes of ice last game, all of them coming at five on five. I want to believe that Dominic Simone is settling in there. Uh, of course, I know better than to count on anyone everlasting on the Pittsburgh top line as the third wheel there, but he's absolutely worth an ad. Uh, you may be bothered by that schedule so you know you could maybe wait until saturday uh saturday's game to fit him in your lineup or you might even be able to to make it till after then and then it'll be time to reevaluate once uh you've got malkin and galchenyuk back in the lineup but i don't see either of those guys taking his top line spot i think you're still just worried about the brian rust and patrick hornquist of the world to sit to he's the they're the ones that simone needs to stave off but he's playing well enough to do it he just has to keep not giving them a reason to take him off that top line. Yeah, I've always been a little partial to Brian Rust. I guess you're Team Simone and I'm Team Rust. Maybe there's room for both of them in the top six, like I outlined. Uh, and then speaking of the Penguins and their schedule next week, maybe Justin Schultz might become a tough hold in some leagues. He's gone quiet. He's pointless in five after starting the season with five assists in seven games. He's still getting top power play time, but I think he's like very at risk of losing that spot with Galchenyuk and Malkin coming back soon. Would you be holding Justin Schultz in any of your leagues if you have him for next week only playing? Tuesday, Saturday, or do you think that it's time to maybe let him go stream him out for someone who's going to give you more games? I think you can probably let go of Justin Schultz, especially if he's not fitting into your Tuesday or Saturday lineups. As Dave in the live chat is saying, Dave Benton hosts a stream scheme. Check it out on our feed. Uh, there are 28 teams playing on Saturday. So if Justin Schultz makes it into your roster on that Saturday somehow, I guess you can hold on to him. But if he's not fitting in, I think you can let him go and then reevaluate next week once Galchenyuk and Malkin uh maybe back or at least we'll know when they'll be back because I don't think he lasts too long on the top power play once they're back it's either him or Latang that's got to go and he's not doing a whole lot and Latang is being amazing so I think it's probably pretty safe to drop Justin Schultz 
yeah, for now, keep him on your watch list. Things change in Pittsburgh a lot, including Latang's health. So we'll see. But for now, yeah, you could probably let go of Justin Schultz. By the way, speaking of Dave, Dave, what the heck were you doing on Stream Scheme? It was a great episode overall, but why did you randomly just predict that John Carlson's going to get injured? What a weird thing to predict. <laughs> it's, not, it's not nice. I know I, I know I just said it about Chris Latang, but at least he has an injury history, right? Like John Carlson, has he ever been in? Anyway, that was a weird thing. But overall, great show. Uh, and thanks for joining us in the chat now. Uh, so that's it for injuries and outjuries. I want to talk about some line combinations and like different line things that have been happening lately, though I do want to again give the caveat that these have been changing a lot around the league lately. So we'll have to discuss as we come up to things whether or not we should be putting stock into these, or maybe Brian, you could just swat some of these away as we go. I want to start in D in Winnipeg. There's been a big change there. Neil Pionk has vattened the Jets' top power play QB spot away from Josh Morrissey for the past three games now. And while Pionk hasn't capitalized on the power play since the switch, he does have points in two straight and he's up to eight points in 12 games on the season do you think this is something that can hold and if so Pionk may be looking like one of the free agent pickups of the year so far if you were lucky enough to get him who would have thought that you could have added Neil Pionk and have the top power play quarterback on a team and he's also doing well at even strength he's getting a lot of ice time I gotta say, I'm really surprised by how this season is going for Pionk and it's not at all this piece about him coming in to quarterback the top power play unit. We really did think the Jets would try him there at some point if they could, just to juice as much of their Truba return as possible. But where Pionk is really surprising me is that he's stepped up in a big way for Winnipeg, not just on the power play at all strengths, huge penalty kill role. And then at five on five, Pionk is seeing the second most minutes per night behind Josh Morrissey on Winnipeg and posting the second best shot attempt share numbers behind Dahlstrom, who's playing in a more sheltered role than Pionk has been. We thought Pionk would be getting filled in at five on five as a Jet the same way he did as a Ranger, but Pionk is seeing above a 50% shot share while he's on the ice, which is more than I thought we'd see. And I think that's what's gaining him trust and ice time at five on five. And in turn, this fantasy relevance unleashed to say, uh, hey, why don't you try out uh, this power play role? Now, is his 55 point pace sustainable? No, but 45 points seems like a very reasonable base expectation for Pionk, especially if he keeps getting top power play time, and then he adds a couple hits and a block and a half per game. Pionk is a valuable guy to have in all formats. If you added him, pat yourself on the back and enjoy the ride for as long as it lasts, because he's essentially doing what we hoped Morrissey would do. Uh, He's just doing it in place of Morrissey. Yeah, though no shade on Josh Morrissey. Like, he's not done yet in terms of a guy that might be valuable in fantasy. He took six shots yesterday versus Calgary, scored the tying goal. Uh, that broke a three-game pointless streak, though. But yeah, Morrissey's he's up to seven points in 10 games on the season, though I should say four of those seven points were power play points from the top power play. So uh, I guess you got to be concerned a little bit as a Morrissey owner, right? Like, how would you rank... Okay, I want to give you four players here. Subban, Vatnin, Pionk, Morrissey. <laughs> Who would you want to own in fantasy the most at this point? Rank them from most to least okay Subban and then it gets messy for me I want Subban more than any of those guys uh, and then I guess I'll go Morrissey just because I think he's got the highest floor and then Pionk and then Vatanen how's that wow so hot take you would still take uh, Morrissey over Pionk even with this current situation in Winnipeg I would yeah I, I'm just not confident that Pionk stays there all season even if he does I, I don't know how much better He's going to do the Morrissey. I see his floor is being lower uh, if he gets moved off. 
that's the big difference between me and you and fantasy, right? Like I would probably make the swap of Morrissey for Pionk and then I'd regret it when they would switch back later on. So I definitely get where you're coming from. Going into the year, everyone was really excited about Josh Morrissey. And yeah, he had a good game in his last game. Let's see if he could build on that. Another star player in a slump on Winnipeg, by the way, Blake Wheeler. What's going on with him? Pointless in six games? What? After starting the season, he started the season hot just like Ryan O'Reilly, Mike Hoffman. Uh, But Wheeler so far hasn't had that four-point game that Ryan O'Reilly had today. Got to imagine it's coming soon. Are you seeing any cause for concern here? Is it getting boring that I keep asking the same question about so many players? Like, it's just so weird. Like, all these star players started hot, now are currently ice cold or just breaking out of being ice cold, like Brady Kachuk and, and Ryan O'Reilly. Is Wheeler next? By next week, are we going to be talking about Wheeler and the great week that he had? I think we are. At least if it's not by next week, it's going to be shortly after. Because at five on five, Blake Wheeler looks perfectly fine. Like nothing at all to worry about there. It's on the power play where you might be scratching your head and going, what? Zero points for Blake Wheeler on the power play through 12 games? Blake Wheeler? And so let's pop in on the Jets power play and see what we see to explain away how Blake Wheeler, who had 77 power play points in the last two years, 69 of those assists, 69 power play assists in two years, uh, has zero points through 12 games this season. And the Jets power play is kind of ugly right now, at least in product. The Jets are 7 for 43 on the power play this year, which is a 16% conversion rate. And of course, Wheeler hasn't pointed on any of those seven goals. Uh, Going by his IPP in past years, he'd have picked up like five points on them rather than zero. But the thing with the Winnipeg power play is that they don't actually seem to be that bad. Like the product is weak, but the process looks good. You could be lazy and write a narrative that things are worse because they don't have Bufflin and they weren't prepared for it and they didn't, you know, set up their power play to work without him. But I don't think that narrative would be true. The Jets seem to be producing about as many uh, opportunities for scoring on the power play as they did in the last year. They're just getting hamstrung by this sub 10% team power play shooting percentage that may be more misfortune than misdeed. So yeah, I'm going to say there's no cause for concern here about Blake Wheeler or the Jets power play. And you should be happily and fever sending out some buy low offers for Wheeler who should get back on an 80 plus point pace once things right themselves on that Winnipeg power play uh, you know you've asked me about a few guys a few big names like O'Reilly and Hoffman and Wheeler Wheeler is the one who I think is the best bet to rebound amongst that group yeah, for sure. Like, he's a star. There's no way he's just going to completely disappear. Maybe he's going to not have 90 points this year. Maybe he falls, like, 80, 85. But no way he's, like, become worth dropping or, like, selling low for in fantasy. Like, he's break Wheeler. He's still getting good deployment. There was a game where Wheeler and Shifley were split up. But that already righted itself in the last game. Uh, so I think he'll be just fine. And yeah, I agree. If you could buy low on him, I'd love to hear. Tweet at us at Kevin Carlson. Let us know the great deal you got in trading for Blake Wheeler. Okay, Brian, before we go forward, I want to go next to the New York Rangers who have been shifting their lines like crazy. And apparently Mika Zibanejad got injured today. So this might be a very scary situation over on the Rangers. But another scary situation that you could sometimes get into is when you're manscaping. <laughs> so, Brian, we have a new sponsor for this week's episode. Uh, support for Keeping Carlson comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Brian, how about that uh, sponsor that's going to help us clean up downstairs? Okay, I'm a little bit uncomfortable talking about this, but they sent me a bunch of stuff. And I got to admit, it's kind of cool. First of all, they've redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawn Mower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology. That's what you want. 
Okay, you want some skin-safe technology so the trimmer won't nick or snag at any of the places where you don't want it to. Let's be real. You don't want to use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your nether regions. Am I right? It's kind of nasty. So yeah, there's a lot of great products. There is, like I said, this Lawnmower 2.0. They also have the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting it on other smelly parts of your body? So there's a lot of cool stuff that you can get over at Manscaped. By the way, Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to raise awareness about the most common form of cancer in men aged 15 to 35, and they provide help and support to fighters, survivors, and caregivers. What a nice company, okay? So they got lots of cool stuff. I've told you about some of it. You can see more at their website. So Brian, why don't you tell our listeners how they can get a great deal and get some of these Manscaped products? Yeah, for sure. If you're in the U.S., you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code CARLSON, spelled like Eric's last name, at manscaped.com. That's 20 20- percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code carlson it's a great deal if you're curious it pretty much brings it to uh, an affordable enough level for you to just go uh, go try it out see what they have to offer so again to get your whole kit go to manscaped.com use the promo code carlson to get 20 percent off and free shipping one more time that's manscaped.com Promo code Carlson. Elon, did he catch the URL and promo code there? I got it. Good job. And that's, by the way, Eric Carlson, K-A-R-L-S-S-O-N, not John Carlson, the guy who's apparently going to get injured soon, according to Dave Benton. Okay, so another player, like I said, is injured is Mika Zibanejad. Uh, Hopefully, it's not going to be for long. We don't know yet, unfortunately. So definitely, if this is the first you're hearing of it, go open Roto World or Twitter or something and check for an update on Mika Zibanejad right now, because that is a big deal thing in New York, right? Like, I mean, we were just talking about in New Jersey, how Nico Hishir going to the second line is kind of a bummer, because there's not really anyone for him to play with if you know like Gusev isn't that good anymore kind of same with the Rangers if Zibanejad is injured then I wonder if there's any good place to be if you're not playing with Panarin because actually the Rangers had recently split up Panarin and Zibanejad that's what I wanted to talk about this week they had moved Panarin to play on a line with Buchnevich and Ryan Strom. So great news for those two guys. Then I was going to say like bad news for Zibanejad. Not terrible news. Now it's like terrible news for people like Chris Kreider or whatever that are going to be playing with not Zibanejad, potentially not. But obviously now with an injury, the Rangers losing once again, everything will get shaken up. So yeah, it's hard to comment too much on the line combinations on the Rangers. Like we could talk about it, but we'll just be misleading you, I think, because things are obviously going to just continue to change, especially now if Zibanejad is going to miss time. So Brian, if it's okay with you, maybe let's just skip that whole conversation unless you have something to say i actually wanted to talk about the power play because that also had a big change on defense just like in winnipeg like on the rangers it was anthony d'angelo getting top power play time over jacob truba i'm seeing today that's not the case truba has almost four minutes of power play time d'angelo down at 147 so clearly truba's gotten that back so who knows with this deployment on the rangers i I don't even have a question for you at this point say what you want about the rangers brian i feel like let's wait and see what happens for their next game right now it's a huge mess over there that's that's the main thing i could say we were thinking of the rangers as like potentially surprising playoff contenders after their great offseason right now i am not thinking that way i think the rangers and new jersey both teams that we thought did really well in the offseason we thought they might have a shot both disasters right now I don't know if there's a lesson here about teams who you're like, oh, wow, they really rebuilt quickly on the fly. I mean, we definitely need to give 
both teams a little more time to show what they can do. But yeah, this Rangers uh, quick rebuild to give Lungfist one more shot has not panned out the way we thought. And now we're seeing the Rangers throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. Uh, we talked about that last week and on the patron cast earlier this week. And I think uh, this whole power play configuration with D'Angelo may just be a piece of that. That said, we know better than to take it too lightly based on what we've just seen and talked about in Jersey and Winnipeg. Right, The Rangers' power play hasn't necessarily been a big problem, though. Uh, They were 5 for 28 on the power play before D'Angelo got there, which isn't great. Uh, Also not awful, but maybe D'Angelo earned a turn with his play in other situations. So if you need some power play reduction... You know, there's a chance he spends another game or two there, gets occasional turns through the year. So if that's worth something to you, uh, grab him. And if you're a Truba owner, I guess uh, be happy already that he's made his way back to the top unit. And also don't be too scared that he's going to be bumped off. Uh, Yes, he does rely on the power play to, or he has relied on it to get half of his points so far this year. But at least he's going to fill other categories for you while you wait for Truba to get back on the top unit the next time he gets bumped off, assuming there's a next time. I don't know what New York's doing, though. I can't claim to have any insight as to what their power play lines are going to look like from game to game. Yeah, for sure. It's really tough, especially with Zibanejad hurt. I guess one player I'll bring up on the forwards that I think we might have to start considering as a snoozer if you have it in your league already. Capo Caco, if he's not going to be on the top line, he hasn't been on the top power play recently. Like, he's not doing anything this year. At what point can we just tell people, all right, give up on Capo Caco in a one-year league, at least, until further notice? Uh, I don't know. Are you, do you still have hope on him being, like, even somewhat fantasy-relevant? Or would you be dropping him if you had him on any of your teams? No, it's hard. I mean, we were having this conversation about Jack Hughes two weeks ago, and the answer was to hang on, except we knew he was going, or like we saw him getting his opportunity on the top line, Capo Caco. Uh, and I think also Hughes looks better generally, like score sheet aside. Caco is finding himself and finding himself also in David Quinn's not so, like not quite the doghouse, but not in his coach's best graces. And that's hurt him a lot he's seeing only 14 minutes a night through eight games only has 11 shots in those eight games is a minus eight which puts him at the bottom of the league essentially in plus minus not that it means anything but you better believe for a coach who's talked about wanting Capococco to develop the right way and to follow a process that a minus eight is not going to be something a coach looks upon kindly so I, I think now would be a fine time to drop Capococco unless of course you know, the, the caveat is also always, if you're cruising at the top of the standings and you can afford to burn that hole in your roster, still wait. Because the talent that we assumed would be there, that we expect to be there, is still there. It's just a matter of if it can be unearthed according to his deployment situation. Right now, the answer is uh, no, it can't be. Sadly. Come on, play Kako more. Well, it's tough. Yeah, the Rangers, it's just, uh, unfortunately, even if you play him more, he doesn't have the best players to play with at the moment, it seems, unless you just attach him to Panarin, who's been, like, the one guy who's been amazing. And by the way, like, Buchnevich and Ryan Strom both had good games before today, just because they were playing with Panarin, I'm gonna guess. So, yeah, like, he's good. If you're playing with him, that's good. Otherwise, uh, I don't know. I'm a little nervous about Kapokako. It's a good advice, though, like you say, Brian. If you're doing well anyways, maybe you could hold on, because obviously he does have upside. Next, let's head to Tampa Bay. Impressively, they've held the same lines for a couple of weeks this is a team that hardly ever held lines, but finally they decided to make a change, which is the Tampa Bay way. And yesterday's OT loss to Nashville, Andre Palat seemed to have hit the deployment jackpot. He was on a line with Kucherov in point and on the top power play with Kucherov, Stamkos, Tyler Johnson, and Victor Hedman. And Andre Palat did in fact cash in 
with an assist on a Stamkos power play goal. Also of note, Tyler Johnson is playing with Stamkos and Matthew Joseph, as well as on the top power play. And Johnson had a goal and one power play assist over his last couple of games. So both Palat and Johnson looking good. Like, I was a little worried about them when Tampa was just running a loaded point Kucherov Stamkos line. But now that they're spreading those guys around, that's an opportunity for guys like Palat and Tyler Johnson to produce. And Tampa now plays next week on Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, which is really great because like you said, Brian, Saturday is a super busy day. So it's very rare that you're going to be able to find players next week that you're going to actually be able to play three games for if you have like bench spots. You know, if you're adding someone, you're probably not going to play him over one of your rostered players on Saturday. So here you're going to get three games out of a Tampa player. How could you not want either Andre Palat or Tyler Johnson for three games in four nights before the weekend? You could always drop him after that. Come on. No way you're going to disagree with me here. My main question will be, who do you like more? Who's your pick, Palat or Tyler Johnson for next week? Oh my gosh, it's a crapshoot between them, right? It's really hard with these guys. They both get lots of turns. Ever since the triplets were broken up when they played with Kucherov together, uh, and that was the breakhead season for all of them, uh, neither one has really been able to find their stride between Palat and Tyler Johnson. And so anytime you add one to your roster, it's sort of just like a... They should get me points because they have really good line mates and they are quality players themselves. And uh, you kind of just hold your breath and hope they do. Uh, Too often on my own rosters, they haven't. Uh, But if I had to add one of them and only one of them, I think it would be Tyler Johnson. uh, And I'm really just going by shot counts. He has three shots in each of his last three games, nine shots. Uh, But Palat isn't far behind with seven, and Palat hits if that helps you. Johnson's been hitting two lately, which is out of character, though. Um, So if if you're looking for hits, you still want to focus on Andre Palat. Um, Yeah, like that's honestly the best analysis I can give of these guys who should always be producing regardless of their deployment. And especially with this deployment, I think if if I was adding one, I'd go Tyler Johnson. But Andre Palat has been the guy that I've given more chances to on my rosters in recent years. So maybe that's just some bias against him for failing me so many times. Yeah, clearly you're saying it's 50-50. Hey, if you could add both, why not? Again, add them both before Friday, and then after, you know, you could always drop one for the weekend. So yeah, great opportunity for both of these guys right now. Kind of weird, by the way, for Braden Point to be off the top power play, eh? Like, I feel we might as well not even talk about it until it's been a thing for more than a single game. But yeah, I was surprised. Like I said, the top power play in the last game was Kucherov, Stamkos, Tyler Johnson, Hedman, and Palat. No Braden Point. And I guess it makes sense when you have so many star players. Maybe it is good to spread them around. Uh, you would want, if you were a Braden Point owner, to be getting all those power play points. He's definitely not going to get as many if he's not on the top unit. No, and I'm glad you brought this up. Not because we're scared that he's never going to find his way back onto the top unit, but just this is an opportunity to point out that Braden Point has just one power play point in seven games while Tampa has been rolling on the power play. So maybe that's why they're like, okay, Braden, how about you uh, head to the second unit and see if you can get that one going too. Uh, But really, I just want to use this opportunity to emphasize that Braden Point is a ways away from the 35 power play points he had last season, which we shouted from the rooftops that the 20 power play goals he got to get those 35 points were not going to repeat. Uh, Curiously, you know, you'd think that at least Tampa would still want him to be shooting a whole lot, but his power play shot rates have dropped significantly since last year, which either means teams are starting to zero in on Braden Point, or the Tampa power play is working more away from him than they did last year, or that this is just a small sample size early season quirk. Either way, that's too much thinking to put into Braden Point's power play habits for now. Everything should be more or less fine, but not 35 points fine. Yeah, I mean... 
like I said, if this is still happening after a few more games, then you might want to start getting concerned as a Braden Point owner and considering maybe sell high if someone sees him as like a 90 plus point player. No way he gets there on the second power play. But for now, it's literally been one game. So I could see him getting back really, really soon. Uh, another player that had a surprising demotion recently is Anthony Mantha over in Detroit. Brian, we did a patron cast earlier this week, which is a bonus podcast we do just for our patrons where we answer their questions. I don't remember how he came up. We were talking about Anthony Mantha. And I think I said this guy is like a lock to be tied to Dylan Larkin all season long. And I guess I jinxed him because in the last game, he was bumped to the second line for Darren Helm, of all people. And then Mantha played with Valtteri Filpula and Andreas Athanasiou. And that held for today's game versus St. Louis. Now that's two games with Anthony Mantha off the top line. This guy's had such a great start to the season. Uh, though he is currently on a bit of a cold stretch. Like, he only had one goal in his last four games going into today. I see that he did get an assist today on a Valtteri Filpula goal. And I don't know, maybe this will stick, maybe it won't. Detroit lost, but even losing 5-4 to the Stanley Cup champions is probably a pretty good result. It was an OT loss, so they did get a point. I wonder how long this holds. By the way, Darren Helm picked up an assist on a Dylan Larkin goal. It was Larkin from Bertuzzi and Darren Helm. So what do you make of all of this? Are you less interested in Anthony Mantha or more? More interested in Darren Helm. What a, what a weird change. I really thought it was going to be Mantha Larkin all season long. If anyone was going to get bumped, I thought it would be Tyler Bertuzzi. But what, what do I know? I think this demotion for Anthony Mantha was actually a huge compliment to his play. We've talked about how Andreas Athanasiu has nobody to work with on that second line. That he's a, a quality player, but... Uh, you know, Valtteri Philpula, Luke Lundenning, Franz Nielsen aren't quite going to cut it as line mates for him to make something work. And so this is what Detroit did to put Mantha with Athanasiu to create a second scoring line. And for what it's worth, it kind of worked as those three, Mantha, Athanasiu, and Valtteri Philpula, were on fire at five on five in that loss to Buffalo. And I haven't had a chance to check in on today's games numbers for like I'm talking about their shot attempt share like they really controlled play that's fantastic and a big step towards them being productive so I'm still a big believer in Anthony Mantha and I'm not down on him at all for being on this second lineup of course I'd rather he be playing with Dylan Larkin and that would would be his path to 70 points but I think he can still get to 60 points with top power play time and with Athanasiu at five on five and maybe that gets Athanasiu going too and gives him some fantasy relevance so I'm not getting too concerned about Mantha maybe even be a good time to even sneak in and buy low on him if Mantha's owner really thinks he was just a flash in the pan to start the year and is not going to go very far now that he's been dumped on the second line. Yeah, okay. I agree with you. I also just think that it's not going to last. Like, mainly I'd, I'd buy low on him because I think that he's going to get back with Larkin. They were doing so well. Obviously, you got to shake things up every once in a while when your team keeps losing like Detroit does. But uh, it, it's too good. Larkin, Bertuzzi, Mantha, come on. Don't mess with that. Though Dylan Larkin was slumping. So that's maybe another reason why they shook things up. He was pointless in five games after a hot start to the season. And today, actually, it didn't work. Like, Larkin had a goal and an assist versus the Blues. So I was going to ask you if you're concerned about Larkin. I know the answer. It's just like with Blake Wheeler. Like, obviously, you're not worried about Larkin. He's awesome. So we could just move on unless you have any interesting things to say about Dylan Larkin and this slump that he was on that's already been broken. Well, I love how you say that. The same way you said, like, do we even need to talk about Braden Point? And you sort of, like, led into Dylan Larkin the same way. And I have stuff to say about Dylan Larkin. So forgive me for going on if I don't need to. And what I was going to say is also sort of thrown off by today's result where Detroit scored four goals against St. Louis because up until 
today. You had to go back to Detroit's fourth game of the season over two weeks ago on October 10th, which was a 4-2 win against Montreal, to find the last time that the Red Wings scored more than two goals in a game. And they were heading into their 12th game tonight. So that's a, a long stretch. Seven games, the Red Wings were winless, had scored just nine goals. Two of them came on the power play. So the offense has just been wholesale bad in Detroit. And it could be because the Red Wings have been just such a one-line team to begin the year, which is the reason, Elon, that I'm not so sure Mantha just pops right back up to the top line. I think that the fact that he was on the second line, uh, they crushed it in their first game out. Even though the Red Wings got shut out, they had a really great, game under the hood and then this game Detroit scored four goals um Larkin was just fine without Mantha maybe the Red Wings are out something maybe they can afford to do this but the fact that the whole team wasn't scoring talking about Larkin himself means that I'm not so concerned about Larkin uh you know flaming out or not coming through this year it's a great time to buy low on him if you think his owner is getting skittish also could be a good time I'm just gonna throw this out there Elon to buy low on Jimmy Howard what do you think? Like, in most leagues, probably you don't need to worry about it. He's been a 901 goalie so far this year. He's put up just two of six quality starts while sharing the net with Jonathan Bernier, literally alternating starts because neither one is playing any better than 900. But I think Jimmy Howard is better than he's shown and has also had zero run support in the games where he has, like, not been putting in his best efforts, but also maybe deserved a win or two here or there. So I think Jimmy Howard could offer more value the rest of the way than he has thus far, especially in leagues where high-volume goalies can be golden. So I just thought I'd toss that out there. I mean, maybe I agree that he'll be better than he has been so far, but, like, how much better? Like, by low, like, I don't know. Also, maybe just they're going to play Jonathan Bernier half the time, because why not? Like, they're not going to win many games this year, and, uh, you know, they're probably even a little bit tanking for a good draft pick. Like, I just don't see a reason to ride Jimmy Howard into the ground. Jonathan Bernier seems fine. Uh, So I guess I do disagree that Howard's going to be, like, a high-volume goalie. I could see this being, like, a 60-40 kind of split. Uh, But, yeah. He'll probably have a better than a 901 save percentage, but I'm not like especially high on Jimmy Howard. He probably will get a few more wins. Like you say, he hasn't gotten much run support. Maybe he'll get a bit more. So yeah, I like him better, but maybe not as much as you might, because I don't think that Jonathan Bernier is going to be sat for like 10 games in a row or whatever. Yeah, I like I think Jimmy Howard, like, it's not like Jonathan Bernier is the goalie of the future. I think the only reason that the Red Wings do keep alternating is, like you said, maybe they're tanking and they're happy to just go back and forth because they have a, a worse chance to win with Bernier in net. Like, I mean, I'm not going to say that, like, not like tanking that they're going to lose on purpose, uh, but I would say that, like, why run Jimmy Howard? Like, he's older, right? Like, I don't think Jimmy Howard is supposed to be playing so many games in a row. I think that's just adding to the risk of him getting injured. So why risk Howard getting injured or, like, kind of falling apart because he's playing too much when you have a goalie that can play and you don't really care? You don't need to, like, maximize every single game, maximize your chance to win. So, you know, it's like light tanking. I don't mean that. I don't want to try to accuse them of, like, losing on purpose. But they don't need to, like, just play Jimmy Howard on a back-to-back or whatever just to get that extra chance at winning. And Bernier, how bad has Bernier been? I actually haven't been paying attention to him. I know you hate him more than... You were saying, who was the guy you thought Calvin Pickard was worth drafting over Jonathan Bernier, even (laughs) though it was so obvious that Pickard wasn't going to make the team? Yeah. Uh, So what do we got here? I'm I'm bringing up Bernier now. I'm just interested. He was a 901 or 902 going into tonight. Yeah, now he's an 885 (laughs) in six games. 
He has two wins in six games, more than I would have expected. <laughs> okay, uh, so we're on line combinations still. Let's go to Washington. Think, looks like things are kind of back to normal. Jacob Verana back on the second line with Kuznetsov and Tom Wilson. Verana has a goal and two assists in his last couple of games. If he was drafted but then dropped during his cold run and his stint on line three, he may be worth a look again right now, especially since Washington is one of those teams. If you listen to Stream Scheme, you would know this. They're playing three games next week, not including Saturday. They're one of the few teams not playing on Saturday. So if you can get Jacob Verana, you'd be able to get three games out of him in your lineup next week. So yeah, definitely someone I would be looking at. Brian, maybe should I drop Matt Zuccarello for Verana in the uh, PHL league that I'm in? Maybe I'll try to hold Zuccarello for his Tuesday-Wednesday games and then switch to Verana for Friday-Sunday, unless one of my opponents is listening. That'll probably ruin that plan. But uh, I'm kind of into Verana. Like, I'm not so into Verana. I know you love Verana, but I like him, and especially a lot more now that he's on the second line. So if you know how much I love Verana, what does it mean to you when I say I wouldn't drop Zuccarello for him yet? I mean, he does have three shots in each of his last three games. That's nice. But Verana's hold on that top six spot still seems tenuous, right? Of course, I don't think it should be. But I'm not the coach who keeps moving him in and out of the top six. And it's nice to see that Verana played 17 minutes in his last game against Vancouver. But he played fewer than 11 minutes the night before against Edmonton. So tons of volatility in Verana's deployment so far. He's not a bad guy to play a bet on, but I'd still prefer Zuccarello as a steady top sixer for the time being. I still have hope that this could be Verona's breakout year, but it's pretty hard to break out when you're just getting tossed around in your minutes and line mates. So Verona makes a good Friday-Sunday ad uh, later in this upcoming week, but I don't know you need to reach for him too long before then. Okay. I get what you're saying. I think you may be a little higher on Zuccarello than I am. He's really been terrible. And also this league counts plus minus and mm. that hasn't helped at all. So I, I like my plan. I'll get a couple out of Zook. I'll get a couple out of Verana unless he, he's gone. Maybe I should just make that move earlier. Dave in the chat is saying, Elon, yes. So I'll, I'll think about it tonight before we release this episode to my opponents. Uh, okay, let's go to Philly now. They've been shaking things up like all season long. The latest has seen Claude Giroux, JVR, and Jacob Voracek on the top line. Then Couturier, Konechny, Lindblom on line two. Kevin Hayes on the third line with Joel Farabee and Michael Roffel. And then the latest top power play, Giroux, JVR, Voracek, Farabee, surprisingly, and Shane Gossesbeher back on the top power play. Uh, they played today against the Islanders. So another one of these games where we should check in. And Philly looks like they lost 5-3, to three, or the game's almost over. So probably there could be another switch. Who knows if they even switched going into this game. But uh, in general, let's just take a look. Like They were kind of on a roll, right? They had won three in a row, scoring 17 in the process going into today. You know, fun fact about the, those last three games versus today's game is Brian Elliott was in net for those three games. And now they've let in five goals today uh, with Carter Hart getting another shot. Actually, Carter Hart got pulled. Brian Elliott came in having a huge game. 19 say, oh my God. Brian, okay, let's just skip all the forward talk for now. We can get to that at the end. This goalie situation in Philly is so, so interesting because Carter Hart had a solid first three games. Then he struggled in his next two versus Edmonton and Dallas. And then, like I said, Brian Elliott got a chance in net. He responded with three straight wins this past week. Now we're seeing another game today where he's come in part way after Carter Hart totally blew it. What do, what do Carter Hart owners do at this point? It seems to me, like, as of now, we're looking at, like, a new starting goalie in Philly until things change. Maybe in the long run, Carter Hart could get it back, but Hart's still a young guy. Clearly, he's still learning. I know, Brian, you're probably feeling really smug right now because you said this going into the year, and I laughed at you every time we talked about Brian Elliott. But right now, I'm going to say it. 
if you're in a league where it's hard to get goalies that are going to play games, and maybe even if not, you've got to go and grab Brian Elliott right now until the situation sorts itself out. You do. Absolutely. Brian Elliott needs to be owned in any league where goalies carry substantial value. And I'm glad you reminded everybody, Elon, that this is sort of what I said before the season. And so I don't need to remind everybody that that's what I said. But let's see how uh, Carter Hart responds to this. This is sort of adversity that he hasn't quite faced so far in his young career. Going into tonight, um, he had seen for the first time ever three straight games as a backup. Last season as a rookie, after Hart played his sixth game, he never sat on the bench for more than a single game at a time. So this was new territory for him to be sat three games, challenged, get back in the crease, and then he came back in and laid an egg. So it's really interesting uh, that he did not step up to the plate at a time where he needed to more than ever in his young career. So uh, what to do now? If you're a Carter Hart owner, you better get that cuff. And Brian Elliott, the saving grace for any Hart owner that can't cuff with Brian Elliott is that I think Brian Elliott might have some injury concerns still. And that might put a ceiling on how many games he can or should be playing. I saw some talk about him needing a certain amount of rest to be able to to stay fit and healthy all year long uh, and, and make it through without re-aggravating any of the injury problems he's had in past years. So that can be some cold consolation to Carter Hart owners who had their numbers blown up by him today and in past starts and. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I don't think Carter Hart is going to have the opportunity to blow up your numbers in at least the next Philly game. Yeah, and maybe we'll see after that, right? So Hart's obviously going to get more opportunities. He's their goalie of the future, but not looking good for him now. If you're a Carter Hart owner, you are hating your life, and hopefully you did get Brian Elliott. Like you said, Brian, actually, Brian, was the best news ever when Devin Dubnik got injured in uh, one of my leagues. I guess it was last week, and Dubnik's going to be back soon, but I stashed him in the IR, and I grabbed Brian Elliott because he was getting a start, and now I'm like thinking, I don't know, like obviously I'm not going to drop Devin Dubnik. I'm going to give him a chance, but maybe I'll just roll three goalies. My other goalie is Henrik Lundqvist, so my, my goalies are bad. Like Brian Elliott might be my best goalie right now so yeah i'm very happy with this turn of events for brian elliott bummer for carter hart owners who knows though maybe i should be saying in a keeper league now's a good chance to buy low on carter hart if you think philly is going to be good in the long run and carter hart definitely is the goalie that's supposed to be their number one goalie for the next like 10 years so maybe it might be we might be still a year early before he really can latch onto that role uh so then we've got the forwards i guess i'll just bring it up like i already told you about some lines a lot of players are doing well that people were worried about before like jvr is on a huge role right now five points uh in his last three games and he got another point today kevin hayes also five points in his last three games and he also got a point today i'm seeing people who held jvr by the way through the tough times loving life now got first of all like just definitely a must add if J- J- james van reemsdyke is still a free agent in your league go get him like don't even wait to the end of this podcast he's on the top line he's on the top power play he takes a bunch of shots and now finally some of those shots are going in and he's getting a ton of points brian there's no way you're going to disagree with me about james van reemsdyke right now right no Okay, so we don't even have to talk about him. Uh, then we got a bunch of other guys, like Travis Konechny. Like, this guy's killing it. 12 points in nine games so far going into today. And yes, another goal for Travis Konechny today. So I don't care what line he's on. He's playing with Couturier. That's good enough for me. He's getting a lot of points. He's only 54% owned in Yahoo. How is Travis Konechny not owned in 100% of leagues? I can't, like, you have room for him. If he's a free agent in your league, trust me, you have room. Tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. I'll help you figure out a way. Maybe you're going to have to drop a defenseman and, like, go down to 3D, which you don't generally like to do. But, like, you're dropping, like, Mike Green. Like, I don't know. We'll have to talk it through. But you need to grab Travis Konechny. Are you right? Brian, come on. You could just give me a yes again if you'd like. 
Oh no, I have. I, there you go again. About to downplay the guy. I want to say a little bit more. Well, about I don't know. <laughs> well, because I brought up JVR, and you were like, "Just yes." I thought maybe you were going to do that again. But okay, clearly you have things to say about Konechny. I think my answer for JVR was actually no, uh, but uh, relative to your question, uh, so Konechny. I forget what the question was at this point, but what I'm curious to see is that uh, I want to know if he can hold up his power play production. Konechny has six points in 12 games so far, and he's doing that without a consistent power play one roll all the way through. Two goals on three shots, plus three secondary assists, plus not presently on the top power play. That makes me think uh, that Konechny is not going to be able to keep producing uh, with the man advantage the way he has so far. The good news is that he's just still rolling the way he was last year at five on five, but with steadier opportunity in production, regardless of his top six placement. Uh, so he's actually someone Konechny that I, I may poke around and see if I can sell high on. And that's mostly because of that power play production that I don't know we can expect to stick around. If you can sell Konechny off for a 60-point player or better, I would take that deal. No. 60? Yeah. Wow. Konechny's going to break 60. Do you want to bet on that right now? Okay. Okay. I, someone write this down. Konechny is going to burst by 60. 65 at least, and, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Lo- I love this guy. Okay, so we've set the over-under at 64. Perfect. No, we, no, we said 60. <laughs> Well, no, you said he's going to get 65, so we're just going to move the goalposts. I'm bragging bragging about the great bet I made about 60 because I'm saying I think he's going to do better. But, okay, I should also say I said Carter Hart is, like, uh, you know, a buy low in a keeper league. He might be buy low in this this year also, right? Like, he's definitely not done. All it takes is one Brian Elliott injury, like Brian said, or even just a Brian Elliott bad game. Carter Hart has a good game. Like, these things can change very, very quickly. Like, we were talking about Ilya Samsonov and Braden Holtby a few weeks ago, and it looked like Samsonov was going to make a real run at Holtby's job and now it's like Holtby's played like four games in a row and Samsonov's last game wasn't even that good so things can change quickly so yeah if you're if you could use a goalie now might be a good time to get Carter Hart for cheap and hope for the best but Brian has given us reasons to be concerned and also Brian does love uh, Brian Elliott maybe because they're both named Brian uh Brian I guess also I I you won't let me get away from Philly without talking about how Shane Gosses Beher has had a really nice bounce back. He has three points in his last three games. He's back on the top power play. He was bumped there for a little bit. Should we be telling people to add him back if he was dropped? Or is this just a mirage and we should still be worried about Goss's pair? Maybe this is like the prime time to finally sell high and get away from this guy. Going into tonight, Goss's pair had three points in his last three games, which put him up to three points on the year. Uh, which is a really, you know, sad way to frame some recent success for Gosses Bear. But that's what we're used to doing with him at this point. I do like that he'd had at least two shots in five of his last six games. Let's see. Yeah, he had another two shots on goal tonight. So that's nice. I also liked that Gosses Bear appeared to be the top power play guy recently. And his ice time has increased in each of his last three games again going into tonight. So these are the moments where you hope that Gosses Bear can take this momentum and run with it. And these are the moments where he's let us down in the past too. So, you know, I'm past the point of betting big on Gosses Bear to rebound, but how can you not at least give him a shot with these signs of life? Also, free Halloween costume idea, Ghost Bear be Shane Gosses Bear. Oh, okay. There you go. I don't know. How, how do you do the bear part? The ghost part, I guess, is just a sheet. That's pretty obvious. What do you do for the bear? I guess get a mask? Well, either you put, yeah, the bear mask on top of the ghost, or you dress like a bear under a sheet. I like it. Uh, my wife is planning on dressing up as Bad Janet from The Good Place, and, and she wants me to dress up as Ted Danson's character, so I need to f- oh. get a bow tie, I guess. and like a. I think it would be better if you were Good Janet. 
Uh, yeah, I don't really know how. Okay, you're right. Okay, so maybe I'll ask you for some advice after. Or patrons, like, let me know in the Facebook if you have any ideas of how I can pull that off. Uh, okay, yeah, I agree with you, Brian. Like, again, if, if Gossip Air is available in free agency, give him another run, right? Like, it doesn't cost you anything. Hopefully, they play Tuesday, Friday, Saturday next week. So give him Tuesday, Friday. You could always drop him by Saturday if you're not going to be able to fit him in your lineup and he's pissing you off again. Uh, and yeah, I guess Ben is pointing out in the chat here that I said that Connecting will blow by 60. Maybe that was just me getting a little bit too excited. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about Connecting. I think he'll beat 60, but maybe I shouldn't say he'll blow by, meaning he's going to get like 80, 90. Like, I'm not going crazy here. Uh, Brian, so we've got now some hot streaks and cold streaks that I want to bring up before we end the show. But before that, we do have another sponsor that we want to thank for this episode and those are our friends over at my bookie brian you know you hear me getting all excited about all these different players unfortunately i don't have travis connecting in any of my leagues but i can still make a bet on philly for a given game and then cheer when he scores it's, it makes it a lot of fun when you're watching sports and you have a little bit riding on the game and if you're going to bet on a game, you're definitely going to want to do it over at MyBookie. They're a really like reliable place where you place your bets. You know that they're going to pay out with fair rates. And there's always cash to be won. If you're the kind of person who likes to bet a little to win a lot, you could even bet on a couple of games. It's called a parlay. And then, you you know, even if they're the favorites in a week, you know, you bet on two of them. So you get more of a payout if they both win. So that's a lot of fun. Brian, I'm even looking at MyBookie right now. They have some fun things you could bet on. Like tomorrow for Anaheim versus Vegas, you could bet on who's going to win each period. Period. So I've never like watched a game like this. Just who's going to win the second period? I might have to go and do some research. Uh, for all the periods, the odds are Vegas is going to kill the period. Like it's almost like two to one for Vegas to win each period. They're probably not going to win each period of the game, right? Like there's at least going to be one period that Anaheim wins. But you got to, of course, figure out which one. Do you have a Do you have a hunch? If you were going to bet on the Ducks to win one period versus Vegas tomorrow, which period would you choose? It's going to be the first or the third. Definitely not the second. Why? I'd, I'd be interested to know your thought process there. Either the Golden Knights are going to come out flat and the, like, you know, before they can really run away with the game or they're going to get tired and slip up because they're leading or something. Also, <laughs> you just missed an opportunity to play the Monty Hall game with me. How so? What should I have done? Well, you know, the Monty Hall problem where there are three doors, you pick one and then they tell you which other door doesn't have a prize behind it. And then mm-hmm. you're supposed to switch your door to maximize your chances of being right. Yeah, so what should I have done? Um, well, I guess I presented you with two. I, I chose, you could have helped me. I said that they were going to be good in either the first or the third period. Brian, this makes no sense because I don't know which one is the answer. So how could I have presented you with the Monty Hall program? Should I leave this in or should we edit this out and try this ad read again? Up to you. I'll leave it in if you want me to. No, I think we'll leave it in, but I blew it. I guess I just want to play the Monty. Okay. So... You can't play the Monty Hall game on my bookie, but you can bet on pretty much anything else. It's a really fun site. You're going to bet on any sport and on any game and even mid-period. Also, like I like how you can bet on the trophies, who's going to win the cup, who's going to win the basketball championship. Like A lot of great stuff. So check out my bookie. And we even have a special offer for people right now. If you use the promo code KEEPINGCARLSON, they're going to double your first deposit. Do you hear me? They're going to double. They're double. So you, you put in 50, all of a sudden you got $100 to play with. You can't beat that. So again, that's promo code Keeping Carlson. You double your cash. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Ideally. Ideally. Yeah. Well, either way, you're going to have fun. Okay? And obviously, you want to bet responsibly. Don't bet more than you can afford. But you have some fun. You play, you win. And if you win, you get paid. 
Okay, so Brian, I wanted to end the show with some hot and cold streaks, though I am realizing that I maybe forgot to ask you about... The thing with Philly is, like, I have so many players I wanted to ask you about. We can't talk about Philly all show, but I should uh, probably talk to you about this Joel Farabee guy, who, like I said, is getting good deployment on the top power play currently. Who the F is Joel Farabee? Is he someone on your radar right now going into next week? Joel, who the Farabee? I don't want my cupful opponents to necessarily know this, but Farabee has been a backup bit of mine for each of the last three free agents I've added in my second tier Ottawa cupful division. I love Farabee's shot rates, especially in his limited minutes, and I love that he does seem to be getting a legit shot on that top power play. The 19-year-old was drafted 14th overall in 2018. This is his first pro year. Uh, He was at Boston University for one year, uh, and then he left to turn pro, and he started his pro career with four points in four games with the Lay Valley Phantoms. Uh, I would love to see Farabee not go back there and stick in Philly all year. And also, he had two points taken away, including his first career goal because of the offsides reviews versus Chicago on Friday. So this guy's been better, even than the score sheet suggests. And a fun Farabee fact for anyone who just wants to get to know Joel Farabee is two older brothers who also played some college hockey, Jesse Farabee and Jake Farabee, but uh, clearly, Joel Farabee's parents must love him the most as the only one to get as far as he has. Also, can we mention Kevin Hayes, who's uh, reignited? Sure. I think you, I don't know if you did. I mean, I mentioned that he's doing well right now. He's also on the third line, but doesn't seem to be bothering him, right? Yeah, he's back. And thankfully, I got him back on my team for it all to happen after I dropped him uh, reluctantly. So uh, Kevin Hayes, worth a look in your leagues, as is Oscar Lindblom. We've had some questions about him. I prefer Kevin Hayes and Joel Farabee to Lindblom, though. Lindblom has scored five goals on 20 shots, so he's riding a pretty high shooting percentage, and he doesn't seem to do a whole lot on the score sheet each game. I think the upside is there, but he's not someone that I... Like, he's probably like the seventh Philly forward I want to invest in. At least I like him more than Michael Roffle. And that's not to say Lindblom isn't good. They just have a good group, good forward group. Yeah, all they need is to get some goaltending, which they're maybe going to get from Brian Elliott. <laughs> we thought it was going to be from Carter Hart. I am going to disagree with you. I'd probably take Lindblom over Farabee. Probably would be a tough choice between him and Hayes. I just, how can I say no to playing with Couturier and Konechny on the second line? It's a really good spot for him. He's doing well, so I'm not going to give him too much grief for maybe having a bit of a high shooting percentage because he has really great forwards. You know, Konechny could score the goals and Lindblom can pass to him and that'll be just fine. But uh, I get your takes. And yeah, interesting stuff about Joel Farabee. Uh, a rare family where the sibling named Joel is the best one. Uh, For both of us, the sibling named Joel is definitely the worst one. (laughs) Agreed. Okay, so uh, let's do some hot and cold streaks to end the episode. A bit of a lightning round here. I want to start with a pair over in Toronto, a hot streak and a cold streak. Jake Muzzin has been scorching with goals in two straight games. He's up to eight points in his last nine games. Contrast this with Tyson Berry, who's as cold as cold can be, pointless in ten what? I thought Barry was going to be the second best defenseman on Toronto. We were even having debates in the summer about whether Barry's going to be close to as good as Morgan Riley. Clearly, I was the big idiot there. Now, maybe do you even want to have Jake Muzzin more than Barry? Like, if you have Barry right now, are you trying to trade him for Muzzin or vice versa? Like, uh, what's going on here? I don't know. I'd go that far. But it's funny how they have such wildly different scoring fortunes. This is Muzzin and Barry 
because they're a defensive pair, right? They're practically on the ice together the entire game at five on five. And Barry is the one who's, you know, charged with breaking out. He's the offensive creator. He's a wizard that way. But Muzzin is the one who has nine points to Barry's four. Muzzin uh, has picked up some, like, a variety of points to get to those nine points. He has a shorthanded point, an empty net point. He has, uh, I think it's a four on four point or a three on three point to go with that too. Um, he's also been scoring, uh, more than Barry, even though he's been taking fewer shots. Three goals on 26 shots for Jake Muzzin. Barry has yet to score on his 34 shots. So it's nice that Barry's still taking shots. Those goals will come. Muzzin's also got like his average IBP. Barry's pointing on just a quarter of the goals scored while he's on the ice, which is about half uh, half as many as he should be. So he's got a 25% IPP when he probably should have somewhere between 40 and 50%. So I think what's going to happen is Muzzin is going to slow down. Barry's probably going to pick it up and they may just end up meeting somewhere in the middle as they both have identical minutes and teammates. And I still think Barry's going to pick up a couple more points than Muzzin on the whole season. I wonder if Barry's maybe too focused on fixing his defense to be able to really wax poetic on offense. We see these flashes from Tyson Barry, but they've generally been overshadowed by the subsequent glaring defensive catastrophes that have been plaguing his game and leaving huge impressions in Leaf fans' minds and probably Mike Babcock's too. So sometimes, you know, a player gets really hung up on trying to fix one aspect of their game and it distracts them from the rest. Uh, Of course, we can't finish talking about Tyson Barry without mentioning that, yes, the lack of power play time is definitely going to hurt. Barry has had 55 power play points in the last two years, so it's going to be an uphill climb for him to get to 45 points in his current situation, but I hope that's still like his floor, whereas it's probably closer to Muzzin's ceiling. Interesting. So you're kind of saying to buy low on Tyson Barry right now, because I'll bet you could get him for super cheap with him getting no points in his last 10 games. But you're right, he is getting more power play time than Muzzin. So, and he is taking a, a lot of shots. So it must be some bad luck here. But like you say, maybe his deployment is going to get reduced at some point if he keeps making defensive mistakes. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I, I, and Barry's ice time isn't even being reduced because of defensive mistakes. Like, he and Muzzin are just there the whole time, and Muzzin's supposed to be the responsible, more two-way guy, and it's supposed to be Tyson Barry who gets the team out of their zone and is making these gorgeous passes, but I feel like he's being asked to focus on this defensive game yeah. a little more. Even though, like, his, his offense hasn't really suffered, the, the goals are going to come, the points are going to come, it just looks even worse compared to how his less offensively gifted defensive partner is doing, right? It's all relative. Yeah, for sure. So interesting situation to keep watching in Toronto. They do definitely have to figure some things out. It'll obviously help for John Tavares to come back, and that'll help hopefully a lot of people get more points, maybe let in fewer goals. Uh, Let's go to Chicago, where it's another one of these situations where we had one thing written up, but things have kind of changed. They were super cold. They got shut out by Mirazik and the Canes yesterday. Only two goals over their previous three games. Going into today versus LA, what a nice way to break a streak of not being able to score goals by playing against the LA Kings, and I'm assuming Jonathan Quick. No, Jack Campbell. Well, didn't matter. 5-1 win for Chicago. So a lot of the players that we've been worried about started getting some points. Patrick Kane had an assist. Uh, what am I seeing here? Dylan Strom, huge game. Two goals, one assist. Debrinket, a goal and two assists. So yeah, a lot of these players that people have started to get really worried about. Oh, Jonathan Taze is another one we've been getting a lot of questions about. No points. Oof. Okay, so maybe uh, we can tell the uh, Debrinket people to not worry so much. Uh, Dylan Strom people, who I was actually pretty worried about Dylan Strom because he got bumped. There was a line recently of Debrinket, Taves, and Kane just loading up the top line, leaving Dylan Strom kind of out in the cold. Looks like that changed again today. They were rolling with Kane, 
Taves, and Drake Kajula, and then Strom, Debrinkit, and Carpenter. So yeah, that's where I want to see Dylan Strom, playing with Alex Debrinkit. So putting this all together, I guess if I had to ask you one question about Chicago off the top of my head, is how nervous would you be as a Jonathan Taves owner who was already pointless in four, now just had a game where he didn't get any points when the Hawks scored five? This must be really stressing out Jonathan Taves owners. I'm glad I'm not one of them, and I almost was, because you were talking about big time over the summer. It is not working out so far. Yeah, that really stings for Jonathan Taves to have his team. Like, this was a statement game that the Blackhawks needed, right? Chicago was coming off a string of underwhelming performances. Talk about management and the GM and whatever. Like, it was all starting to come out if Chicago could not fix the problem that was, to be fair, affecting every single player, right? No one was doing well. Finally, it's it's great that Debrinkit and Strom bounced back today. Patrick Kane got a point, uh, but Jonathan Taves not on the score sheet. Eric Gustafsson not on the score sheet. Like, we're not going to forget that the team as a whole was having huge problems, right? And I think this is a matter of philosophy where when a whole team is struggling, can you really give up on any individual player? Like, can you say, well, Chicago sucked for the last seven games. Uh, is it time to forget about Jonathan Taves? In my opinion, it's a really unfair time to evaluate Jonathan Taves or any of these players. And so the question to me is, how can you handle holding on to these guys versus never being able to get them back if you do drop them once things do start rolling, which is more likely than not to happen, I'd say, for any team other than Minnesota. Like, I'm really scared for Minnesota. And we saw LA uh, be pretty bad almost all of last year, too. So I tend to hold on to the players and wait for the team to get right, because generally in the the NHL, that's what happens. Uh, But Elon, what do you do? I don't know. In this case, it's really hard to let go of Jonathan Taves. He played with Kane today, uh, even strengthened on the power play. John- Patrick Kane's also been a little bit cold. Like he hasn't, he hasn't been as bad as some of these other guys. But you know, not completely without blame. Uh, yeah, it's hard to hold Taves. I'm probably holding on a little longer, but I understand what people are concerned about, and I wouldn't be mad at you for dropping Jonathan Taves. But if you're going to drop Taves, I want you to be the type of fantasy player who's ready to jump on him as soon as he does something. You know, maybe you don't want to ride out the cold streak, but if he stays in free agency, you've got to get him not like me with Paul Stasny where I had used up all my moves by the time he got onto the second line at the end anyways I'm still like tilting about that whole Paul Stasny thing so I'm just gonna keep bringing that up but you get what I'm saying right Brian like Taves should be better probably not as good as last year where that was a real outlier year and we thought maybe there was reasons why he could keep that up I don't know about that but he should still be like a 60 plus point guy not like pointless like he has been lately Totally. I, I have a lot of faith in Taze bouncing back, and it's a gr- it's great that the Blackhawks did bounce back without him, in a way. I feel like maybe some of the pressure's off. If the rest of his team gets going, it's not all on him to, to figure it out. So I'm still optimistic about him. Okay. Yeah, the rest of the way. Yeah, and then also, by the way, Eric Gustafsson, another guy we got to talk about. Pointless in five. Make that pointless in six. He also didn't get in on any of the goals today. He's still the top power play defenseman. He came off like a 60-point season last year. But Eric Gustafsson, like, so ice cold. Are you ready to hand out permission slips for people to drop Eric Gustafsson? Or just like Taves, you have to hold on since he's getting good deployment? No, I'm not letting go of him. I can. Like, as I really just said, I'm not going to give up on a player whose team is struggling. If the whole team was clicking and Gustafsson was being left out, I'd be worried. That's not what's been happening. 
Okay, so let's talk about a team scoring goals again. That's a lot more fun. And by the way, Chicago did just score a lot of goals. But another team scoring a lot of goals is San Jose. Though, again, they played today and lost to Ottawa 5-2. to two? What? I don't know. So that's a weird game. But Evander Kane, holy cow. He is clicking. Actually, a lot of Sharks players are on big rolls right now. Hurdle, Evander Kane, Burns, Carlson, Couture, LeBanc, Marlowe, all with at least six points in their last seven games going into today. Like I said, Evander Kane really seems to be thriving on that top power play. He had that big two power play goal game versus Montreal on Thursday and I think I saw that Kane got a goal today yeah he got another goal today versus the Sens one of the two goals and again on the power play so pretty exciting right? we didn't even expect Evander Kane to be a top power play guy going into the year like he didn't get that job last year a lot of people thought that when Pavelski left this was going to be Timo Meyer's spot but I think Kane's gain at this point you could probably say for a little while at least Timo Meyer's not getting on the top power play I don't think it's happening anytime soon uh so yeah Kind of a bummer for him. He was pointless in four games to start the season. Meyer's been okay with four points in his last seven, but it's looking like another pointless game today. Yeah, another pointless game for Meyer today, though he did have five shots. But yeah, I'm going to tell you, Brian, I'm a little nervous about Timo Meyer. I think that these people who were predicting 70-plus points, definitely time to readjust, right? If he's not going to be on the top power play, and if he's not going to keep this magic that he had last year, I don't know, it looks like you're furrowing your brow, so maybe you disagree. No, I, I agree. I'm furring my brow because I'm pretty sure we've asked and answered this exact same question now for three weeks in a row. And nothing's changed. I guess I see questions about what should I do about Timo Meyer, And I keep going, all right, I'll ask on the show. But we're saying nothing's changed. So yeah, we're worried about him and we're loving Evander Kane. Uh, how about the impressive stuff going down in Arizona lately? Nick Schmaltz continuing to light it up on his line with Connor Garland. And as of last game, Barrett Hayton, who recently got into the lineup. Uh, Schmaltz had one goal and one assist versus the Devils on Friday, bringing him to 11 points in 10 games on the season. Brian, how for real is this Nick Schmaltz run? Like, don't forget, he was also great for the Coyotes last year after coming from Chicago before he got injured. We were thinking maybe... Maybe that wasn't going to be sustainable. He was riding some high percentages. So far, so good for Nick Schmaltz, even not playing with like Clayton Keller like he was last year. Do you think Schmaltz can stay worth rostering in fantasy all season long? No, I think he's going to be on and off, especially like I don't think he's going to continue producing from his spot on the third line. It's exciting for him to be playing with Barrett Hayton. And uh, you've got Connor Garland, who had some really nice spurts last season, too. But I don't think this is a line that's going to be able to put up sustainable production at five on five. Nick Schmaltz is going to need to be in the top six to be able to produce consistently. The good news for him is that he's still uh, he's still got his power play production to lean on, right? Uh, he was uh, not on the top unit in the last game, but he's got three points on the season. So maybe he ends up back there before long. So uh, Nick Schmaltz is someone who I can see sort of being like a Derek Stepan, someone who, like, when you drop him, it's like, ah, he's producing. And then you add him, it's like, ah, he's not producing. And he just kills you, uh, burning a hole in your roster at the times when he has gone cold. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, that's the weird thing about Arizona also. Normally, they don't score goals. All of a sudden, this team is scoring goals, so we're getting excited about a lot of these guys, but I could see that changing again soon. Like, I'm not totally convinced that Arizona has changed the whole way they play. Uh, on the flip side, by the way, of Nick Schmaltz, Derek Stepan was bumped from the top line recently in favor of Christian Dvorak. Stepan is still on the top power play, but if he's not going to be playing with Keller and Kessel, he's probably not worth owning at this point. Uh, only four points in 10 games now. No shots on Friday. This is snoozer alert time for Derek Stepan, I'm going to say, unless you disagree agree and maybe time to take a look at someone like Christian Dvorak who's also on the top power play but now also on the top line in the place that Derek Stepan used to be yeah Derek Stepan this is what he does right he has this potential to be a like he's a legit 
I think top line center. I think he can do the job. He just needs the right personnel around him and the right system. And Arizona just isn't that high scoring offense that he can contribute to. I feel like he's kind of like a David Krejci type and Krejci in Arizona. I'm not sure would fare a whole lot better, but I am into Christian Dvorak. He was in my show notes last week. Maybe some of our patrons caught it because they get to read our show notes every week. Quick shout out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. I spoke earlier this year, though, about how Dvorak may have been the best offensive centerman in Arizona last year. And that maybe that's who you want with either Phil Kessel or Clayton Keller. Uh, But now he's playing with both of them. So I think he's worth an ad. 23 years old, former second round pick. He's been on like our low key radars for a while without ever really breaking through. But I like that Dvorak is getting a turn on the top line. He doesn't shoot a whole lot. But if Keller is setting him up while other teams focus in on Kessel, maybe that works. Or maybe Dvorak is setting up Kessel himself or Keller. I don't know how it's going to work. But I would add Dvorak as a depth guy as long as he's playing with Keller and Kessel at five on five, especially with a nice schedule this week. Yeah, yeah, it's looking pretty good. Arizona plays Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. So at least a nice schedule to start the week. You stream them in for a couple of games, then you decide from there. Uh, by the way, if the Coyotes are going to keep scoring, then people are going to need to start considering maybe some of their non-OEL defensemen. You've got like Jacob Chikrin, Alex Goligoski, both of whom have four and five points respectively in their past five games. I'm not saying these guys are must-owns for the season, but maybe worth considering for streams when the schedule is good. These were guys that were off our radar last year when Arizona couldn't score a goal to save their lives. Uh, speaking of depth defensemen, Brian, who's this Michael? Kempney guy on Washington. Uh, M-I-C-H-A-L. So maybe it's McCall, like McCall Neuwirth. McCall Kempney. I'm going to stick with that. Uh, he started the season on the shelf, but returned a couple weeks ago and has been on fire. He has three goals and two assists in five games. He's playing on the top pairing with John Carlson and averaging around a couple blocks per game to go along with these points. Is McCall Kempney worth a look or do you expect him to disappear ASAP? Like I'm sure most people would think you'd rather have Orlov or even like Radko Gudas ahead of McCall Kempney on your Caps fantasy see defenseman depth charts but i gotta shout someone out that has five points in his last five games go ahead and shout him out but we're gonna treat him exactly the way we've treated dimitri orlov in past years when this happens which is this like enjoy it while it lasts kemney has scored three times on five shots and he's only taken five shots in five games he's got 48 points in 179 career nhl games 29 year old kemney was never even a regular scorer back in his czech league and khl days so yeah like, good for you if you lucked into some of that production. I shouldn't take anything away from you. Way to predict that great production from Mikhail Kempney this week. But uh, I assume you're also predicting accurately that it's not going to last. Yeah, I mean, I do like if he's going to be on the top pairing. I don't think he's had deployment like that in the past. So I don't know. I'm going to keep watching him myself, Brian, but I haven't added it to any of my teams, and I don't think I will. At least not yet. I need to see a little bit more for sure. So I agree with you. Uh, Like we already mentioned in Nets for Washington, Braden Holby played well in four straight games. Ilya Samsonov had a rough outing versus the Canucks on Friday. So I think anyone hoping that they were getting a potential challenger in Samsonov can probably drop him at this point. Uh, If you bought low on Holby while he was struggling, Samsonov was doing well. Kudos to you. Uh, If you have Samsonov, Samsonov and Brian Elliott is in free agency right now. It's like the most obvious swap ever, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Samsonov, we can give up on for now, except it's not going to be that long until I'm sure we're talking about him challenging Holtby again. So this is just a a short-term thing. And just as certain as I am that Samsonov has a shot to push Holtby for the starting job, Carter Hart is probably still going to be the 1A guy in Philly, at least for most of the rest of the year. So just manage all of this 
uh, accordingly. Yeah, like everything I'm saying now is like for the near future. I guess if you're thinking really long term, maybe you want Samsonov over Elliot. But if you're, this is the type of thing where you can stream and probably get the other guy back at some point, right now, give me Brian Elliot over Samsonov since Elliot, I think, is going to keep getting some starts and he's doing well and Samsonov struggling and also not getting starts. Uh, okay, I'll, let's end the show with a couple more struggling defensemen. Brian, what the heck is up with Charlie McAvoy in Boston? Just two assists in 10 games now. Last year, he paced for 43 points. This year, he's totally disappeared with Boston only playing twice this week. Is it time to consider giving up on McAvoy in one-year leagues? Or is this just a clear case of a slump that will write itself? He's still 79% owned in Yahoo, but it's been falling fast. He was dropped in Kakupful Tier 1, so you know that's a pretty big deal. And no one has added him. People have had the opportunity and haven't. It just seems weird to me. Like, why would Charlie McAvoy not be able to do this year what he did last year with the same deployment? The team's still scoring lots of goals. 21-year-old Charlie McAvoy was low-key one of my favorites going into this season. I thought he had some big potential opportunity ahead to build upon what looked like a decent 40-point offensive floor, and that was because he was showing a little more offensive trigger-pulling as a sophomore last year, but McAvoy has not continued doing that in 2019-2020 thus far. McAvoy's really not getting any quality chances on his own, and sadly he's getting shut out of scoring lines when his teammates pick up a goal more often than he probably should, which is to say he has a low IPP, so he should have like another point or two. Uh, so that's a place where he's got some room to regress in a good way. Also, McAvoy has a sub-7% on-ice shooting percentage, so I think that this is just some weird variance early in the season. It stinks that McAvoy is not taking as many shots as he was last year, which still wasn't even a lot. Like, it was like, okay, this is just barely enough, Charlie McAvoy, thank you. Um, But I still think he's still can work his way back towards 40 points. My hope for him exceeding that expectation, though, is dwindling as I see his shot totals go down. Yeah, it's an interesting situation. Tori Krug is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, so we're going to have to see. Like This Charlie McAvoy guy might be the top power play guy on Boston next year if nothing changes, so you'd like to see a little bit more of an offensive acumen, so let's see if he can bounce back. Like you said, Brian, a higher IPP, better on-ice shooting percentage would probably make a difference. And then, finally, Shea Theodore on Vegas, pointless in six games, even though he's been a fixture on the top power play, and actually that was before today's game versus Anaheim, so has that changed? Based on our luck so far of everything that I'd written down being out of date i'm guessing that it has currently vegas is winning five to two shea theater no still no points so how about that like with jonathan taze right really frustrating when your team scores a bunch of goals and still he's not even getting one point are you concerned about shea theater here because uh you got nate schmidt he's skating apparently could be back pretty soon if uh, theodore continues to struggle is it possible that someone like nate schmidt could start threatening theodore for some of that power play time or is now just like a great time to buy low like a lot of these other players we've talked about It's possible Schmidt could challenge Theodore, but I don't think he should get to challenge Theodore, which is to say I believe in Shea Theodore uh, being just fine from here on out. Look, he has a 3.5% on-ice shooting percentage at 5-on-5, which is just tragic. He's been on the ice for just 4 goals scored at 5-on-5 by Vegas this season, and he's pointed on two of them, so Good for him. Uh, But he and his teammates have all deserved better. And that shooting percentage for everybody while he's on the ice should improve. And then hopefully uh, Theodore is going to be getting in on like 40% of those goals scored with with either the goal itself or an assist. So that's at five on five where he's been snake bitten. And then on the power play, Theodore is actually doing quite well. He's pointed three times on seven on-ice goals scored. And Theodore seems to be on a unit that's seeing success, posing threats. So I don't see why... 
as I said, Nate Schmidt should replace Shea Theodore there. It's been really nice to see Theodore actually get such a huge share of power play time as we thought he might. 73% share of Vegas' power play minutes on the blue line, up from 50% last year. He's averaging over four minutes per game on such a great unit. I do still wonder if he loses a bit of that when Schmidt comes back, but honestly, I think Theodore is doing a fine job on the power play, is not doing anything to warrant being pulled off. It's five on five where most of his scoring troubles have been, and I think regression is going to take care of most of them, which means, uh, to answer your question, yeah, it is a pretty good time to buy low on Shea Theodore. Uh, I would go for it if I didn't already own him. Elon, how about this question for you? Shea Theodore versus P.K. Subban. Who you got rest of the season? Ah, that's a tough one. They're both kind of struggling. Theodore's on the top power play. Subban obviously has the history. I think give me Theodore. Yeah, because Subban also struggled last year. Theodore was pretty solid. Uh, Yeah, that's a really close one. Actually, I'd be interested to know other people's answers. Let us know, like patrons are on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. Let us know what you think about Theodore versus Subban. What's your answer, Brian? (laughs) <laughs> I was asking you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so you don't have to answer. I think I would go Theodore. I think he's a, he's in a more stable situation. I don't see him getting booted off the top power play, and I think he's on a really good one, uh, where Subban, I, I would like to see him stick. That's all. Yeah, that's fair. Also, Theodore, a lot younger. Subban, you know, has had those uh, back issues, so we don't know 100% what's going on with Subban. Uh, by the way, Brian, I definitely messed up on our ad for my bookie. This Anaheim-Vegas game is today, not tomorrow, <laughs> uh, so it's too late to bet on that. Uh, and if you would have bet on it, you probably wouldn't have wanted to take Anaheim in any period. Actually, it's 1-1 in the third period right now, but yeah, uh, Vegas won the first two periods, and now uh, they've both scored a goal in the third, so we'll see how that finishes off in this 5-2 game of Vegas over Anaheim. Okay, so with that, Brian, we've made it through our slate of players for today. What a fun conversation about so many guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the show. We always appreciate you tuning in to listen to Keeping Carlson. If you like the show, we'd love to hear from you. If you don't like the show, we'd also like to hear from you. If you like it, we'd love to hear from you with a five-star review on iTunes. If you don't like it, tweet at us at Keeping Carlson and let us know. Maybe we can uh, take some of your feedback and make it better. So yeah, uh, five-star review on iTunes, though. Always appreciated. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. Like like I said, if you really, really like the show, you could always consider becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. We have a lot of perks there. Our Facebook group, which is super active. Monthly patron cast. We've got another one coming in a couple of weeks. Uh, we've got our show notes, a bunch of stuff. So you can check it out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, Brian, let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our crew of newest patrons, Reed, Megan, Kale, TPK, and Steve. This episode was researched with help from Dabra Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dabra Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Corsica, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Great job, as always, Brian. Really looking forward to doing this all over again with you next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson.